Yes, What's happening, weirdos? I'm so excited to announce that I'm coming to Portland, Portland, Oregon. Um, some love to my friends in Portland, Maine, who uh, commented that there are two Portlands. I'm aware. I'm from New England. I've been to Portland, Maine many times, and it's lovely. Uh, but I'm going to Portland, Oregon, uh, another lovely Portland, on November 3rd. I believe it's the third is the special. But the reason that I said the second is uh, I'm telling you guys first, weirdos first, uh, that we're adding Friday night shows. So Saturday night, the 7 and the 9.30 show both sold out very, very quickly. And I'm so grateful for you guys for uh, buying tickets to that, coming to that. Um, and we're adding two shows that won't be taped, but will be silly and fun and in the same theater on that Friday. So if you'd like tickets... Um, just Google Aladdin Theater, Portland, Oregon, and it'll be right there in the upcoming events. Um, yeah, I hope you can make it. Two, two extra shows. So if you can't make the taping, come to the shows where I'll be warming up the taping, probably swearing more than I will at the taping, which is always funny. Uh, this is Sharon Salzberg, um, an incredible teacher, an incredible meditator, uh, a Buddhist meditator, and what a, what a treat it was having her on the podcast. And Val is on this episode. Do you remember? That's right, baby. <laughs> That's right, baby. Um, Sharon's got amazing books. We talk about them all in here. Uh, but her latest is called Real Love. It's incredible. You got to listen to her podcast. She's just, she's somebody that we see uh, a lot at the Ram Dass retreats. But um, for anybody that thinks Ram Dass stuff is a little too far out, I think you'll enjoy Sharon being a little bit more grounded. She's she sort of got, um, I don't know how else to put it. Yeah, grounded is a perfect word. More grounded. So uh, don't panic if you don't like the, uh, the sort of magical deep Hindu stuff. Um, Sharon is a delightfully down-to-earth Buddhist that anybody can enjoy. And you can quote me on that, Sharon. <laughs> um, is there anything else? I might be announcing some dates in San Francisco, too. Keep an eye on that. Uh, I do tend to tweet these things before they make it to the podcast, so follow me on Twitter, Pete Holmes on Twitter. And you your Twitter. <laughs> yeah, but I felt bad. I really did. I felt bad that like people that listen to the podcast didn't necessarily get first crack because I tweeted it. So I just went to kind of like the Twitterverse. Ugh. I gotta stop saying things like Twitterverse. I'm looking up when the. Do you know when the Largo, the next Largo show is? I think it's the 12th. Oh, the 12th. September. Oh, my God, you're right. September 12th mm-hmm. is my next Living at Largo show. Those, are, those have been amazing. The past one, Eric Andre, Brent Sullivan. Uh, who else was there? People killed it. Uh, the Milk Carton Kids. The Milk Carton Kids. Oh, shit. Fortunately, yeah. Bo had to cancel, but Gerard Carmichael came, who was incredible. So the next one is going to be uh, just as wonderful, and I'm doing a lot of stand-up at these shows as well. So if you're in the L.A. area, um, come September 12th to come see that show, uh, largo-la.com for tickets. Uh, and keep an eye out for those San Fran dates. I'm excited to come back to San Fran, where I met Valerie. Mm-hmm. Get out of town. At Cobbs, which is a comedy club, which maybe that might be where I'm performing. We're going to wait and see if that gets confirmed. Um, in the meantime, we're, we're editing. I always say this, but it's always true. Something that's important to me on this podcast is to not 
just do ads, but to endorse things that I actually truly love. And these are two products that I absolutely swear by. You guys know this, but it's Alpha Brain. It's a nootropic. It's made from earth-grown ingredients. It's like a multivitamin for your noggin. It helps you think, concentrate, helps with memory, helps with focus, helps with communication, gives you far-out dreams if you take it right before bed. That's not on the bottle. Also helps with meditation. Anything that involves concentration or work. Anytime I have a podcast, anytime I'm writing a script, anytime I'm doing stand-up, this isn't a script. No script. I'm telling you, for the past three, four years, anytime I do something that involves my brain, I take two or three Alpha Brain uh, 15 minutes beforehand. It kicks in, not like a stimulant. It doesn't make me jittery. It's not like coffee. It's not, it's not even in that category of, uh, of thing. It just it gives your brain the calories, the nourishment it needs to, uh, to function. So I swear by it. And I reached out to them. I said, I love this product. I want to tell the, the weirdos about it. They gave us a promo code. It's on it. O-N-N-I-T dot com slash weird. You'll see a whole bunch of products there. Whatever you pick up, it's 10% off. Uh, and it's a great way to show your support of this podcast. That helps us out if you want to try it. Uh, the other one is Charlotte's Web Hemp Oil. Hemp oil, that can't be illegal. Hold your roll, fella. They use science. They take the hemp plant with science. They remove almost all of the THC. It's got like 0.01% THC in it, leaving the CBD, the body beneficial, happy, healthy, glow-giving CBD part of the plant that is very medicinal and, in my experience, has been very beneficial. It helps uh, me rest. It helps lower my anxiety. It helps me smile a little bit, a little bit easier, laugh a little bit faster. Um, the quickest way I explain it to people is it just takes the edge off, not in an intoxicating way. It doesn't make you stoned. You can still focus. You can still concentrate. You can still follow the plot of a movie or read a book or work on something. Uh, it just kind of takes a little bit of that, that negative vibration out of your brain, body, and being. <laughs> I'm tired. I'm tired today. So I love it. I take it every day. I get the everyday advance, which means I literally just take a couple drops of it so it lasts a very long time, even if you just get the small bottle. I get the mint chocolate flavor, although both are great. And if you want to try it, highly recommend it. Here's a promo code. Go to CW, like Charlotte's Web, CWHemp.com slash weird and use promo code Keep It Crispy and you'll get 10% off. Uh, those are my Pete's Picks. Valerie. Anything to add? No. September 12th, me and Val will be at Largo, very close to the baby's due date. Yeah. Very close. In fact, it was September 19th, and we changed it to September 12th because September 19th is the baby's due date. Yeah. We've been learning all about how like laughing and stuff helps induce labor, so we've been extra silly and waiting for baby Leela to come. Maybe I'll give birth at Largo. It's very close to our hospital. It's three blocks from the hospital. It would be great if you gave birth at Largo. Uh, and a good story. Yeah. Like a legend. Mm -hmm. Legend of baby. Uh, all right, guys. I'm so happy to share this. This is when we were filming Crashing that we recorded this. So it's a little bit of a while ago. But uh, if I remember everything, it's timeless. So, Valerie. Get into it. Get I'm already attached. I, first of all, I thought you lived here. I've been like deluded all morning. I thought, oh, what an interesting place to live. That is hilarious. And then I thought, but I think he lives in L.A. But I guess he rents a place in the East Village. So then, this is this is Alex's place. I heard. <laughs> you got. I the was whole sitting scoop. out there, so I'm kind of sweaty.
I am also very sweaty, and I just gave you a sweaty hug. Do you want a pen? Do you have one? I think so. You're a good man. <laughs> you're early, aren't you? Am I late? No, you're you're We're right on time. Yes, I was early. I love that. Yes. <laughs> because That's I didn't fine. know. I thought, I didn't know. What it, I thought you lived here, and I thought, oh. Who cares? You know, I'll sit down and I'll have, have glass some of water, tea. I'll have some tea. And, yeah, keep it You know, maybe he tea. starts right at 11. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. So great. It's so nice to see you. It's so nice to see you. We can wear these if we want. Yes, you're not coming to Hawaii, right? Or you are coming to Hawaii this year. You mean right now? No, no, May. Uh, November, I mean. November, we want to. Oh, good. But it's sold. This is <coughs> my wife, Valerie, who's going to sit in because she loves you. I don't know if you're aware that Valerie loves Hi. you. Hi. <laughs> so she wanted to come. I hope that's okay. I'm delighted. I'm so oh, happy. She, she's she been listening to your stuff, and she was like, I have to be there. Yes. I wasn't going to miss this. <laughs> but we... um, But it's sold out, so you're having a hard time getting in? Well, old 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 Raghu is, is going to try to get us in or whatever. Yeah, because I've... I mean, Mike just yelled at me because I tried to get in this woman. <laughs> it was oh, like, really? Ah. You tried to get what in? I, I met this woman, this older woman, oh, this woman, you know, who's like an old devotee of Ram Dass, and she lives in Montana, and she just had like a knee. Re- I don't know. It was like a whole story. So, oh my god, See, this, she should she should definitely go before we do. No, 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 no. I think he's gonna get her. I think he he's gonna let her in. But it's my last opportunity. Oh Is that what god. she said, uh, Michael? Yeah, no, he's very That's tough. Funny. But Ragu, I mean, why can't Ragu get you in? Well, we're we're like worst case scenario. We'll just go uh, and, and not in. stay at the hotel. Well, that's all right. Which yeah. is what people do anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Although you're you're raising an interesting issues. Uh, sorry, Alex. How do I turn my cans up? Is it this? Anybody else want more volume in their cans? Can I have a little less volume? <laughs> yeah, I know. Me too. <laughs> is that an option? <laughs> that's an option too. All right. Pete's a little loud and You can have less. I want the two quiet people up and we want the one loud person down. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're, you're, da- you're going down. Uh, <laughs> thank you, sir. You're going down and then you're up. I'd right? like to go up a little bit. Okay. And is that me? You? I'm not hearing it. Okay, here. There I am. Oh, that's much better. Okay, cool. Now I won't be so loud because I can hear myself <laughs> yeah. better. Um, but this raises an interesting point because every year the Ramdas retreat, which is where we've met and yeah. seen you and, yeah. and yeah. loved you, uh, sells out so quickly, and it's always new people. You know, like whenever they ask, like who's been here before? Right. Oh, that's interesting. It's always yeah. a bunch of new people. So then there's us. Who are trying to go every year, just like a bunch of jerks. Yeah, it feels so a little sort of greedy. Feel like, oh no, we're pushing. If we do get in, what sweet Montana Ramdas devotee like dream trip once in no, a no, lifetime? No, 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 no. You should get. You should get in. Are you pushing out? No, no, no. It's 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 everyone's karma, and yeah, you know, she wouldn't have had a shot if I hadn't just been in Sun Valley and run into her. You know, so. that's true. Yeah. That's true. Um, yeah. It really is like, a, I mean, it does feel greedy at, at times, but it is such a reset for us. It's, we love it. Yeah. It's become you, kind of an essential part of our year. It's how I know it's November. Living in L.A., <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. so sunny and there's no seasons and it's a timeless, vapid place. We go to <laughs> see Ramdas in November and I go, oh, that I don't yes. see a Thanksgiving turkey. Yes. I see Ramdas. It's <laughs> also so conveniently located right you, between the family holidays. which And it's also not a bad trip from L.A. I yeah, mean, it's from not here. Bad. Oh, right. Yeah. From New York. It's so, so much farther. How far is the, how long well, is the you can, there's 
different ways that you could do the 10 hour flight or Oof. 11 hour flight to Honolulu and then Oof. go to the end, other end of the airport and take the little plane to Maui. Right. Or you could go to, once I went to San Francisco and I was supposed to have like a three hour delay and that was six hours late, that plane. Oh, so then gosh. I got to Maui, God knows what time. Oh. Some young devotee, Ramdas was waiting for me. You know? Is that true? Oh, no. oh my goodness. <laughs> or coming back, it's always two days. You, oh, you wow. always do an overnight, either overnight from Maui or overnight from Denver or someplace. You know? Wow, that's crazy. That sounds like it might be better to stop midway. Yeah. 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 I don't know. How do you do in situations like that? I've I've noticed since I've started to... Uh, now, this is what's called a leading question. Okay. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, we be... <laughs> I, we're, yeah, we're recording. I hope that's okay. There's no, like, intro, although I should say I'm so happy to see you. I'm so happy to see you and, both of you. Yes, yeah. and I, I'm not recording podcasts this summer, except a special... I, I'm uh, just trying to make okay. you feel special. <laughs> I feel so special. <laughs> I don't want you to think that I'm put out. I want you to feel special. I do feel really special. <laughs> I'm actually rested and happy and getting to a place where I feel like I have space to do... And you're filming you, you yourself for filming. That's what I mean. Yeah, we yeah. only have two episodes left, so okay. not only when you finish an episode is it done, but also all the mental energy you were using thinking about it is you can kind of release that muscle <laughs> so now i'm like oh i have more space for for podcasts so here's the leading question i have for you but i think you're gonna like it <laughs> i'm leading it somewhere i think you're like hopefully since so i got to set the other day and they were like uh there's been a delay we're not ready for an hour and since i've gotten more serious about meditating when someone says that to me it's actually not as bad news Whereas it used to be like, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now I go, can I just go sit in my trailer? And I, I actually kind of feel like I have a little secret. I'm like, hee-hee. Like I get to go sit for an hour. Do you feel that at all? And if there's a delay or see how leading Oh, yeah. No, I think – thank you so much for that question. <laughs> <laughs> I sit all day long. <laughs> you didn't know. I was just waiting for you out there. I wasn't on my iPhone. No, I no, no. That's I all, love that's, it. I want to yeah. do a joke right now. All you have to do to be a modern Buddha is not be on your phone. That's right. If you yeah. do that, you are leaps in, – in the West. You are leaps and bounds above anybody. But that's – tell you go. Talk. talk. <laughs> yeah, I actually – I met a uh, a lovely monk from China – uh, from he's like a kung fu master, so he's a very rigorous. His monastery is like very rigorous physically mm. and exceedingly demanding. And then he moved to L.A. and he had like big culture shock. Oh wow! Oh, wow! And yeah. in order to, um, you know, get more balance, he decided he was going to sit four hours a day. But the way he was going to do it, he always sits half an hour in the morning. That's his practice. But then when he had 15 minutes, he'd sit for 15 minutes. If uh-huh. he had five minutes, he'd sit for five minutes. Mm. If he had an hour, he'd sit for an hour. So. And then it would accumulate, you know, until he got to four hours. And so I said to him, do you have some kind of app for that? <laughs> and he said, no, I use the notes section of my iPhone. He, like, actually calculated. And he, he felt much, much better. Wow. So he was trying to add up it, to he, four. To add up to four total. In a day. Wow. In a day. That's interesting. You know, and then I told, I told Dan Harris that. And he, he got inspired by it. And he does, too. Oh, in wow. just that way, you know, where this conversation could be an app. <laughs> like you should just make the Sharon Salzberg just steal yeah. the idea. Be like every time you push it, but you could do it with a timer too. Yeah, yeah, Not yeah. Like, you need a timer. What am I yeah. improving the idea? <laughs> I think the Kung Fu Master has a great technique. It's I, a good technique. I feel like that works extra well in New York because you're not driving as much. Like yeah. there's so yeah. much train time, subway, and that has been my challenge since we've been here is to not be on my phone and just try to use it as meditation. And you'll 
I started noticing a lot of people like with eyes closed. Yep. And I don't know if that's what I they're doing, but it's, it's I think such a are. perfect place. It's also a perfect place to like eyes open, just try to be present and like – yeah. Like we we were going somewhere uh, yesterday, and there were just like a bunch of really loud kids, like yeah, on family. the seat next to us, kicking and like jumping all around. And I was like, "What happens if you're just observing?" I, this? It's real. That? Like, don't resist. New York is good at that. It oh, gives you lots so of things. Good. It's can perfect. you not resist this? That I always think of something Ramdas says, which I think is Buddhist, is like your attachment to how you think things should be mm-hmm. is what's causing you suffering. Mm-hmm. So I think we're supposed to be quiet on the train. And in comes like three generations of a family. Yeah. And like lots of screaming kids. <laughs> and actually, we didn't even, I was actually kind of proud that we didn't talk about it. Were I you? Know, yeah. I, like, we I didn't actually, even talk about it. I had a moment you know, last night where I was like, we didn't talk about that because yeah. I think we were Normally, both trying to do that. I think we're chilling out. I think it's helping. And it's good if you can do it in New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because in the, I'm saying like five years ago, we would have needed to rant about it. Yeah. But yeah. instead, and I felt you doing it too, trying to like catch the eye of the kid or smile or or realize that that's just you doing something else. But I think it's harder for us in L.A. because we have such a ecosystem you're driving. Yeah. yeah. And we so we're we it's very easy for us to stay in our very controlled world where we're like this is the neighborhood where where our friends are and like where people are quiet and they behave a certain way and then we get in our cars and then you know we can control that environment and New York is so it's, great for being like good morning <laughs> throwing you in with everybody. Mm-hmm. There's so many preferences. Yeah. And LA. also for walking, you know, like yeah. Walking down the streets. Like I was walking down the streets here in New York once and somebody was texting and he barged right into me. Yeah. And I thought, oh, you're so lucky. I'm not like a car or something, you yeah. know? Yeah. Oh, that's a and beautiful then, Or response. a jerk. Or a jerk. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. could get mad. Yeah. You're lucky I've been meditating for 45 years. <laughs> <laughs> I get real hurt, you know. <laughs> you know, but – and I, just to do loving kindness meditation, for example, walking yes. down the street, you know, silently and – and to just have that energy instead of the usual energy. You know? Yeah. That's so really interesting. And yeah. it can change so fast. Sorry. But no, I, I, I know I told you this, Pete, but like I um, – last week I taught this dance class that I love and I was like just on a high frequency afterwards walking down the street feeling so good and so dipped in. And I was crossing the street and it was raining and a car turned right in front of me and splashed me like a classic <laughs> movie. And I couldn't believe how quickly I dropped down into just like yeah. furious. Yeah. And that was the that was like the moment to be like, oh, isn't that interesting? Like that person took that away from you so quickly. Would you say, Sharon, I feel like. Ram Dass would say, have compassion for yourself. Is is that in your field? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> is that in your Buddha field? Occasionally, I think that. Uh, yeah. I just don't want to confuse you with Ram Dass. You, I know you love Ram Dass, yeah, but I, I don't do want to Ram assume Dass. that you agree yeah. with Ram Dass, But I No, no, I, I do agree with Ram I, I mean, I, I probably don't always. You yeah, know, yeah. But, no, that's but one I think question that's just language, you know. But yeah. um, the first thought I had in, in listening to you is that that's normal. You know, like we get provoked we get provoked by the same old thing mm. but it doesn't last as long and that's the thing we're not noticing ah. you know like from almost everybody i would say everybody really you know if i dare <laughs> yes. you know, be that global but yeah you know and people freak out all the time they're so disappointed like oh no it was just that little thing and i got so enraged and yes. i didn't i haven't improved any but it's not true like yeah. when something takes over our lives our minds for 
half a day. That's really different than 20 minutes. Yeah. You know, wow. but the 20 minutes feel so miserable. We don't usually stop and think, you know what? Mm-hmm. This used to be half my day. And that's doesn't so this good. feel better? But that that's usually the trajectory of change. That's how it happens. This wow, is a free podcast. I know. And people have been listening for 10 minutes and there's already a jewel. I know. That's a great well, jewel. That's, that's a life changer. And that's one of my favorite jewels that you offer is that it's all about the return. Like that. I wrote that down too. That's so I, big. That's part of that. That's practically a mantra of mine. I do a mantra. I like mantra meditation. And every once in a while, I repeat something that Ramdas says, which is, "This is enough." I love that one. That's nice. This is. It's really good because I catch myself wanting the meditation to work, and then I go, "No, this is enough. This the not working is not enough, or whatever it is." And then I catch myself analyzing a movie for ten minutes, and then I think of you going, "If you want to speak a little bit too, it's all about." That moment yeah. where you snap yeah. back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it, are we summarizing that correctly? Yeah, that's excellent. <laughs> <laughs> well, for the people that don't know, why don't you explain it? Yeah, well, I mean, many foundational meditation exercises um, suggest that we choose an object of awareness, which could be anything. It could be a mantra. It could be a visualization. could be the feeling, the sensation of the breath. It could be a phrase or set of phrases for loving kindness. And that we settle our attention on that object. And you know, like the first meditation instruction I ever got when I went to India, which is where I met Ramdas in it's January so of 1971. We got to get into that. I'll um, just write down 71. Yeah, 71. <laughs> what that mean? 71. She's, she's looking good. You um, look great. Thank you. you know what Lama Surya does? Because he looks great too. And he's like, meditation. You guys are aging We went to college together. You did you not. Did? Oh, my gosh. Wow. So I'll write that down, too. I got it all down. This is the don't worry pad. Okay. We got don't worry it. about anything. Uh, what was I talking about? No, I was yeah. so, so that was the first instruction I ever got was sit and feel your breath. Mm. And I just thought, that's stupid. You know, like anybody could do that. And I thought, what will it be, like 800 breaths or 900 breaths? And to my shock, it was like one breath. And my mind would wander. You know, I yeah. get lost, totally lost mm. in thought about the past, about the future, about something. Um. And I just thought, oh, I'm doing horribly. You know, I'm like the worst person that ever lived trying to meditate. And, yeah. And yet the instruction was don't worry about that. You know, what we're concerned about is kind of your growing facility with letting go gently and coming back without kind of doing undue violence towards yourself. Right. You know, like mm-hmm. I'm horrible. I'm bad. Like I can't Val do with this. the splash. That's mm-hmm. right. It's the same practice. Mm-hmm. That's right. So everything is really in that moment, letting go and starting over. That's how it actually works. And yeah. And there's so much unspoken in that moment, like compassion for ourselves, you know, because you can't really do it well right? if you're just going on that rant, you right. know, because that rant takes a long time. It's so peculiar. I think people think, and maybe to be not global, <laughs> I love that you said global, I'm going to steal that. <laughs> it seems very Western to want to meditate well. We want to mm-hmm. do things well. We want to do it well. And we want to know we did it well. Mm. And the app told us we did it well, and it told us how we were breathing and all these things. When I realized that the whole thing, my meditation, I started with TM and I told my meditation teacher, she's like, how's it been going? And I was like, great. Yesterday I had a really good one. And she went, they're all good ones. And I was like, oh, right. Like you want to think the ones where you achieve bliss. I've had the ones where, you know, the ambrosia is just pouring down and you're like, whoa, I can't wait to tell Valerie. And then it goes away because I'm thinking about it. But like, I've had the ones where you lose it and it is just about going, Oh, I really lost it, but I, I just watched that dispassionately. That's that right. failure, That's quote unquote. Right. And it yeah. wasn't a failure. Yeah, it's definitely it came not a failure. Back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely not a failure. And, and 
I mean, Sam is a different system, and I've never done it, so I can't really speak from the inside. Yeah. Um, certainly in terms of insight meditation, there's a worth to all the experiences we disdain and don't like. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. you're sleepy, you're restless, your knee hurts, your back hurts, mm-hmm. um, you're anxious, whatever it is. Because being with those states in a different way than we're used to being with them is considered a great yeah. accomplishment. You Compassionately. Know, so, yeah, or, or exactly. just witnessing. Yeah, being present, being more balanced, being more compassionate. Witnessing the itch instead of scratching. Yeah, that's right. You're just going, oh, man, this stinks. And you're like, yeah. look at Pete thinking this stinks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> look at that. Let's look at that. As one of my Tibetan teachers said, it's not the thoughts that are the problem, it's the glue. Oh, wow. You know, so we can have all kinds of thoughts going through our heads, and it, it's, it is more like clouds moving through the sky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we're okay. Right. And, there, you know, other times we're exhausted or we've had another disappointment or we're on edge for some reason, and that very same thought comes, and we take it to heart, and yeah. we, like, can't imagine ever feeling anything else. Right. And, you know, we build a whole self-identity around it. It's a whole different way of relating. So right. when we talk about mindfulness, we say it's all about relationship. It's not about what's happening. It's about how we're relating to what's happening. That's why you can't fail. Right. You know, of course, these days there's a kind of social cachet because so many more people are into meditation. So many more people talk about their meditation experience. And, of course, any of us would rather not run into a friend after a you know, meditation and, and have them ask how it was and have to say, well, I was sleepy and I was angry and I was right. bored, you know. Right. Yeah. You want to you say, to say you know, I got there. Yeah, the bliss. I, I'm just coming back. I the visited. joy, the bliss, <laughs> the peace. It's I could have stayed. I just came you know? to help you. That's right. That's what we'd like to say, you know. But from the, I don't know, I guess impartial view of the, the meditation judge, uh, yeah. they're equal. They're actually equal, yeah. you know, in terms of the content is not so important. I find, That's how we are with it. I love that. Yeah. I find it helpful. I actually visualize my ego, who Duncan, who you know, really helped me learn to love my ego. And I picture him as a Sasquatch. So sometimes I'll be like, kind of like the one in uh, Rudolph, like the stop motion one. Oh, yeah. The like ice the abom- abominable, abominable snowman. snowman. Yeah. So anyway, he's a friendly looking giant monster, which is kind of what an ego is. He's tall. He's proud. He's loud. <laughs> and I'm meditating. And sometimes I'll just go like wow, you're really killing it <laughs> or whatever. And then I just picture myself, this is Duncan, just going to the ego, good boy, like, thank you. Mm-hmm. I thank you for protecting me and getting me a job and getting me food and what, whatever it is. Thank you. You can you can sit on the bench. And I picture him just going like, okay, just like, that's when, when I, I'm not a meditation teacher, but when I've tried to explain it, I forget who said it, but it's like if you have a thought, you greet it like you would a child. Yeah, if a kid yeah. comes up and screams, yeah. you don't go, get the fuck out of you. You go, hello, thank you, yeah. like on the train. Yeah. Hello, thank you, please go sit down. Or, yeah. or or even if you just give them that love, it sort of diffuses it. Yeah. I get songs in my head and I just go, I'm so glad my brain can remember songs. That's really nice when I want to remember songs. And love, instead of get out of here, Chili's Baby Back Ribs song, that anger only makes it more powerful, that's right? That's exactly right. More glue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. yeah. See, we're not, that's hard to believe in a way because I mean, I think it's, it's a big realization to believe that because it's not what we're taught. You know, we're taught fight it and yeah. do battle and you'll succeed. Yes. Right. That's the way. And it's really not the way. That's the narrative right. of every movie. Every action movie ever is just keep trying and try harder. Right. Yeah. There's very few movies where it's like surrender. Yeah. 
Yeah. And stop yeah. fighting. It probably wouldn't be very popular for me. <laughs> and the idea of, of like good overcoming evil is like good fights evil, like resists evil until evil subsides. Right. But really it would be, and this is why Moana is such a good movie. Yeah. It's like you love you love the Have evil. you seen Moana? I've seen Moana twice. Moana's great, right? I've seen Moana twice. So that actually is a movie where she doesn't try harder. Spoiler, if if you don't want to hear how Moana ends, (laughs) skip forward 30 seconds. But she realizes that the enemy at the end is the... The island that's missing. Isn't that her amazing? Heart. It's beautiful. So I, there is a movie. I, I, it's very popular. Oh, I have goosebumps every time I think of it. But yeah, that's and that's actually a vis, uh, has served as um, a vis a visu. I can't say Visualiza- it. visualization. <laughs> Thank you. You kind of have For to me, say it wrong. You have to say it viz viz like yeah v i z visual nope. visualization. <laughs> You know when it's just not going to happen? Um, for me, for my ego or for my shadow self or for whatever, I think of Taka the monster. And then I and I try to, like, be like, this is not who you are. This does not define you. And just, like, imagine melting that away. But it is. It's like – because in love, like, loving those parts of you, also there's surrender – you know, there's like there's so much good stuff, and just yeah. like just if you try to love that part of you, right, you'll dissipate it. There's there's that part in the Lazy Man's Guide to Enlightenment, which I we don't take a lot of mushrooms, but the times we have, where he writes about like if something is frightening you, love it and sit with it, and don't try to push it away. And that he, the phrase exactly is what he writes is he goes, "What was it that you thought needed to be loved?" <laughs> so you see something scary and you love it, just like. Taka, oh Moana, you've taught us so much. I know. What does that make you think of, Sharon? <laughs> now I'm, I'm playing back Moana. In my mind. <laughs> like, Let's song, just stop you know, right now like, and go watch it. <laughs> no, I, I saw it with a, uh, a friend who has, uh, well, I guess she's 13 now, uh, a daughter, and and so we, you know, we yeah. went, and then uh, I was staying with these friends um, in California, and, and we were kind of going through Netflix and. And uh, I insisted that we stop at Moana. <laughs> I was just, I've seen it twice. I love it. Yeah. It's so great. Yeah. Um, we watched it on a plane and then I was I told Pete, I was like, this is everything. Like they're really, well, it, it works, comes up a lot. It works literally. <laughs> we were saying it works literally about leaving home. I feel that way about Boston. I feel like I had to leave Boston. And it also works metaphorically. You had to go to the scary place yeah. internally. Yeah. Yeah. But it actually works on both levels. Yeah. Does that reflect you? So you go to India in 71. Yeah, Do you have a hero's journey? Is there Where were you that you left? Well, I mean, Moana's journey, I think, is a little uh, different in that um, she she had the possibility. She was surrounded by love right there. Mm. and. And so it wasn't like going from a kind of bad place right. to she, a... She was tempted yeah. to stay in a cozy yeah. place. Yeah, it was exactly. It was it's cozy, it was safe. That, yeah. yeah, they were, you know, they had certain expectations of her, but she kept looking at that water, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. There's something else. So. I, I think about Jesus saying, I came to turn brother against brother. Like, you have to leave your family. Yeah. There are all yeah. these things that are very inconvenient to, like, the Mormon church, for example. I have a big heart for the Mormons, but, like... They're so pro-family. And I'm like, Jesus wasn't exactly pro-family. Yeah. He was a little bit more like your boy, Buddha, yeah. which was like, you got to realize <laughs> yeah. none of it's anything. Yeah, no, he, That's not he's your mother. Very, not, uh, <laughs> out there. He, he, he's breaking it up. Do you want this coffee? That's coffee? Yeah. Yeah, it's cold brew. Coffee and a I'll can. share this with I've never her. had any. It's cold brew. It's very strong. But it's there if you want it. 
I don't know. I've never had it. <laughs> you're gonna oh you're gonna change it you're gonna change that you've never had it um so you know you're... so my life was such that my childhood my early childhood was very uh it's very dark does it have like it a milky thing in there no, no. there's no milky okay, thing then i'm giving it. it back to you <laughs> <laughs> good call do you, alex do we have cream do you want some cream or something yeah well he meant i could take more water if he's actually Oh yeah, serving us in some way. I would actually take some water too. This Alex. is great. <laughs> we should just have more breaks for Alex to get us all sorts of stuff. Thank you, my friend. We talk Thank about you. my painful childhood. Um, is it a painful? Oh, here we go. Oh, oh, I'm ready childhood. for it. We're ready. You are to listen. <laughs> I'm not ready for it emotionally, but I'm ready to listen. No, it was a very painful childhood. And um, where? Where? Uh, New York City. I grew oh, up in Washington here. Heights. Okay, oh, wow. and uh, in the Heights, and. Uh, Mostly, I mean, I I started out in the Bronx and then I moved to the Heights. So, uh, I when I wrote this book called Faith, which was sort of my spiritual autobiography, and I was looking back. I went to college when I was sixteen, mm. and I realized that by the time were you like a gifted student? I guess. Yeah. <laughs> or were they just like, let's get her out of here? <laughs> no, I mean that's what the New York City public school system liked to do if you were gifted enough, you know? Yeah, I see. Mm. Like they have you skip grades, so I skipped third grade and eighth grade, and. Then, but I, I, when I look back and writing the book, I realized that uh, by the time I went to college at 16, I lived in five different family configurations. Mm. Wow. And each of them had changed because of somebody dying or some traumatic oh, thing wow. had happened. So thank you wow. so much. Did, did you? Yes, uh, you did. Oh, wow. I have this cup too. <laughs> um, it's a cat's cup. So I, uh, my parents separated when I was, and divorced when I was four and then I was with my mother. And her two siblings, and my mother died when I was nine, and I went to live with my father's parents, whom I hardly knew. Oh, wow. How did your mom die? Uh, she had a hemorrhage. Oh, wow. Um, that's just wow. one of the uh, – I'm sorry to bring yeah, up. Yeah, that's okay. We can... I have follow-ups on your mother's death. That's okay. Yeah. A hemorrhage is just like something that can – it's one of those kind of random deaths, right? It just sort of strikes you? Is it like a well, she had... aneurysm in that way? Or it, is it I, I, well, it was like a bleeding ulcer or something, but it went bad, you know. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Um, Were you there? I was there. I wasn't there when she died, but I was there like calling the ambulance and oh, stuff my like goodness. that. So. When you were nine, when I was nine, yeah. Oh my! Gosh. Forgive me, but that is that is that like difficult age because you're old enough to remember, but too young to certainly. Well, I know. I keep meeting kids who are nine. Like, oh, right. Mm. You see a pattern. Uh, yeah, mm. there's a pattern of nine. Well, yeah. I mean, I just every or, time I meet a kid who's nine, it's like I, oh. I'm very aware. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, that's how old I was. You know, like wow. isn't that crazy? And they must yeah. seem so young. And they seem so young. And you probably seemed grown because you were moving around, right. and you're from right. the city, and. So you're probably already kind of like right. a little woman. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then I lived with my father's parents. Do you want me to go on? <laughs> I really do. Okay. I actually had yeah. another follow-up, though. Was there a spiritual structure at all at this point? No. When your mom died, did you have any narrative to put that in? Uh, no. It, was it, it I was, atheism? I froze. Yeah. I mean, it was, it it was, was just mom's gone? Yeah. I mean, it was very secular. Um, well, I moved in with my grandparents, who were more observant Jews. So there was suddenly a, a kind of form uh-huh. But no essence, you know, and nothing that I understood. They yeah. were they groovy Jews or just no? They weren't that groovy, <laughs> and they were Eastern Europe. They're Polish, you know. Oh, so, I see. Uh... So they never spoke my mother's name again. It was like she was just gone. She was just gone. And you don't talk about it because it's sad and bad. That's right. Exactly. Was, something bad happened. That's right. Uh-huh. Something Death bad was happened. A failure and yeah. a mistake. I, exactly. I have to imagine you have an. Un- I know you do an understanding of karma or something. But back then it was just. 
let's not even talk about it. Which, totally. From a psychological perspective, is probably the worst thing that could happen to you. Yeah, as I think a child, that's probably true. And not and, being able. And they, um, uh, you know, I, I taught not too long ago um, at this university hospital in the cancer unit, mm. and I said, "Oh, I grew up never." I always thought cancer was a word that had to be whispered. It's like nobody ever That's said it out loud, you know? Like, so this, she's got cancer. Funny. Yeah. Or she's got cancer. Yes. Go, what? You know? <laughs> yeah. Right. So right. I said, I even feel, you know, being on this ward, it's like a little bit like, whoa, this is kind of intense. It's a little bit, yeah. and I can, I think we can probably both relate. It's, it's a little bit superstitious. You yeah, feel that exactly. feeling where it's like, don't say it. It, you'll invite it. Yeah. It's like, don't whistle the devil. Like the devil hears you whistling. Like my mom used mm-hmm. to get scolded for whistling from our Lithuanian grandmother. Uh-huh. Would be like, don't uh-huh. whistle. It invites uh-huh. the devil. Uh-huh. So there's a lot of that uh-huh. stuff going on. And to the extent that you don't even want to say the name of a disease. Yeah, exactly. You know, so that was sort of the ambience of, is this where, is the bow getting pulled back for you to become yes. somebody that wants to think yes. and feel yes. and discuss everything? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or be an honest, open person. Yeah, well, then the next thing that happened was my grandfather died. So then I'm 11. So that's two years after I moved wow. in. And my father came back. I hadn't seen him since I was four. Wow. And in the meantime, he'd had like a pretty thorough breakdown, obviously. And he was in bad psychiatric condition. So he was on, I guess the clinical term, he was unstable or something? He was really mentally ill. Yeah, yeah. mentally ill. There we go. But as far as I can recall, not when he left when I was four, but in the intervening years you know so yeah the dad figure and your mom i have to imagine how did you they speak of your dad when he was gone uh not very well (laughs) because he was totally gone you know yeah and never sent any money or never you know so he comes back and he's still unstable and how did you feel is that a happy thing or a a confusing well it was it was very confusing it was very scary because he he didn't match the image you know of the Mm. prince who had left and Mm. but also he just wasn't in good shape you know and so he he was around for about six weeks. He took an overdose of sleeping pills, and uh, they went. <laughs> both of I wish I could see her, his face. She's <laughs> laughing at our faces. <laughs> I felt both of our we faces drop. Like, well, yes, yeah. you wanted me to go on. No, no, we're not know. uncomfortable, but we're sympathizing. Just want to go in a time machine and give you a hug and Thank swallow you. you in a blanket. Yeah. So, I mean, he didn't die, but he spent the rest of his life. Uh, in some psychiatric facility or another, so VA hospital or a nursing home or something like that. So, but what they told me at the time, and this is an answer to you know your last kind of point, um, was that it was an accident that he had taken a pill and he hadn't remembered that he'd taken a pill. I see. So mm-hmm. he took another pill and then he was in bad shape, so they had to take him away in this ambulance. So I was in college, which was like five years later before I thought, you know what. I think it's baloney. Yeah, yeah. How could it be an accident that ends you up in a psychiatric in the psychiatric system? Right. Yeah. You know, for years. Just no, then, there was no honesty there, which I think we have more of now, just to be like, your dad's mentally ill. Yeah, so there was nothing. So uh, in every book I've written, I realize this is the same passage, which is uh when your internal sense of what's true is not met by external affirmation mm. and you feel that dissonance cuz kids know yeah i mean i certainly knew that it was somewhere but not on the surface you know not consciously yeah and then you're met with some kind of um variance of the truth 
Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and what happens inside of you. And I realize, oh, I keep writing the same thing. No wonder. That's yeah. you know? printed on yeah. you, yeah. but Absolutely. it's an important thing. Yeah. We, I think we all forget how vulnerable and weird it is to be a kid. We, we went to this thing where there were a bunch of drunk adults and children. And we were like, oh, you remember what it's like talking to a red-lipped grown-up? You know, they just had so much wine. They're like, you want to play tennis? You're what you want to be like, your old man? And you're like, this guy, because I've been drunk, this guy thinks he's passing as sober. And he doesn't realize he's talking to a bird right now. Yeah. Like something as sensitive as a bird. A flightless mm-hmm. bird is going like, I'm picking up on everything. Yeah. And I remember that feeling as a kid. So here you are intuiting these things about your dad, yeah. and then people are lying to you like red-lipped tennis men. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, exactly. It's the yeah. same sort of violation. And it really was. It was the same thing as uh, talking about my mother. You know, they think that's kinder. They think right. that's the way to go. They think that's right. a – I mean, there wasn't a lot of psychological sophistication, you know, like yeah. first-generation immigrants. And, sure. Did you keep – sorry? Uh, but I think there was something inside of me really from that time that knew there was something else. And I just knew I had to, like, finish school. I had to get out. I had to find it. And I didn't know what it was. You know, I wasn't, like, reading Buddhism or anything like that. Oh, this is when the spiritual sort of urge yeah. came. Yeah, But you didn't – it didn't have a name. No, it definitely didn't have a name. I just – it almost had a voice, but not a name. You know, it's like wow. there is something. But you've got to – you know, you've got to hang in there. You've got to study. You've got to get out. Wow. And, wow. and so I went to college when I was um, – 16. I, my birthday is in August, so, you know, September, I went to college. I just turned 16. So spirituality, which I think a lot of people feel like is something their parents plop them in, <laughs> and they have to escape from that. Yeah. Was yeah. your escape. Yeah. It like was independent escape. spirituality. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Or we could say authentic spirituality, because yeah. it came yeah. from inside of you, yeah. was your way out. Mm-hmm. And I think that must be psychologically helpful Tell me if you agree with this. We kind of need all the help we can get. It's an interesting path. And being addicted, like Ramdas says, one of the reasons he related to Maharaji was because he reminded him of his dad. Mm-hmm. And Ramdas reminds me of my dad and who I wish, I love my dad, but you know, like kind of a Boston mm-hmm. dad type. So I relate even harder. And here you are seeing spiritual thing as, a, as an escape. So you get an added sort of perk. Yeah. I don't want to say yeah, perk, yeah. but a, yeah. a good attachment to seeking because it's taking you literally where you need to go and yeah. internally where you need to Absolutely. go. Absolutely. Isn't that fun? It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. You know, that well, what, worked. You know? What grace is, is this? It was, that was grace. What is your feeling on grace? I, I've been thinking a lot about that. Well, you know, I, I wrote this book on called Faith, you know, yeah. and because um, people often ask me, like, what, so I went to college and uh, in my sophomore year, I took an Asian philosophy course. Just and on a whim? It was kind of a whim. I mean, a little bit. It was the work to my schedule. You know, I looked at it. I said, oh, that's Tuesday. What it's grace? convenient. You know, grace! I love it. <laughs> part of it was that, you know, it was all in the air. You know, like I, I knew who Ramdas was by then. There were all drugs and rock and roll. And, you know, and it was all so like, it was getting around. Yeah. What year is this? Is it the... Uh, this is 69. And where were you going to college? I'm sorry, I went to college at State University of New York at Buffalo. Oh, okay, great. With Surya Das. Wow. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And Mirabai, actually. No oh, way. She was a graduate student there. Look Their new book gosh. is so good. I haven't it's seen so it. so good. I mean, I've glanced at it, but I didn't really like it. It's beautiful. It. Uh, what were we saying? You were saying... Uh, yeah, oh, so, you, so, so you knew who Ramdas was... <laughs> 
Was it? Had he just gone to India? Or he just came back. I think he had just come back. You know, it was very vague. I mean, he he. You know, I, I kind of maybe I heard him lecture once or something. But did you go? You went and saw him. I think he came to. I think he was around. You know, I didn't go to New Hampshire. Or, yeah. Yeah. You know, like those places. But it was just that guy. He happenings were happening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was the sixties. Yeah, exactly. And you were doing stuff. Yeah, and then the the university had an independent study program. Where if you created a project, you could go anywhere in the world. It's kind of like your junior year, and then you're supposed to come back. And um, my joke is usually being Buffalo, New York. Many people went, not that many people came back. <laughs> actually, true, but um, yeah, you know. And I, I had heard there were a couple of people in the school going to India to do some educational project or something, and I thought I should go to India and learn how to meditate because. There was something I heard about meditation in that Asian philosophy course, mm. and there was something. I mean, this is that same voice, you know, yeah. which said it's not enough just to hear about it. It's not enough just to think maybe someday or, right. you know, maybe I'll read more about it. Right. You've got to learn how to do this stuff. And, right. Wow. And so people often ask me about that voice. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, how did you know? How did you, you know, I think, I wish I could bottle that, you know, because yeah. that was the moment. That right. that was an extraordinary moment, and that's like you could say that was grace, or that was, yeah. it's you know, it's also, faith. It's also grace that you were so in tune with yourself that you yeah. could hear that voice, because yeah. it's so common, especially with trauma, to kind of disassociate and just mm-hmm. be like asleep because everything mm-hmm. is so painful. Right. So the fact that you were like, that you knew yourself well enough to hear that is amazing. Why was your water so still that you could kind of hear that voice? Do you, were you, <laughs> I get, allow me to lead the question. Were you partying a lot or were you kind of, what, what was your life like? <laughs> yeah. Were you taking psychedelic? A little bit. Not, not like a lot of people. You know, but it wasn't some, on a some. trip that you were like, I need to follow this. No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, I, I I mean, I'm a child of the 60s, of course. Right, I, right. I well, that, well, that was – when I took mushrooms, that was when I went, oh, everything they told me was real. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It wasn't, it wasn't quite like that. Yeah. Uh, but I um, I wonder, though, I mean, because I think there are a lot of people with trauma, you know, backgrounds who were in the same situation I was in that the external world was not affirming their view of what had happened. Mm-hmm. And they only had that inner voice wow. to guide them on. And yeah. so, I mean, I've had plenty of dissociation too, you know, but, <laughs> you know, but I think a lot of people through circumstance, people who are oppressed, people who are marginalized, people who are, whose other people's story about them is the predominant narrative. Yeah. They hold tight to their own story about themselves, but wow. they can't express it. Mm. Wow. Like, you know, can't live it necessarily, but you know, inside yeah. and. You have to know, or you'd be Lost. destroyed. You yeah. know. Um, wow, that's really lovely. It, it kind of forces you more inward. Yeah, that's you're not having your own experience reflected back to you at every turn. That's right. By the majority. That's right. So you can't like kind of coast on like yeah, uh, like what I did. I'm a straight white male, and I just <laughs> yeah. kind of go around seeing my own reflection everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Me yeah. In movies, me in stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and that, so you had to go. In and hold yeah, on. Yeah. And when you're holding on, maybe you were like, what am I holding on to? And yeah. I just started whispering to you. Yeah. If you shot it in a movie, would it be a whisper? <laughs> <laughs> would it be a voice? Did it feel like that? It felt like a voice. Wow. Wow. Was it a voice? It's a weird podcast. <laughs> I had Alex Gray on, the artist. And I know. he told me the story of, um, oh, why am I blanking on who invented LSD? It's, um, 
It doesn't matter. It's like Aldous Huxley, but it's not Aldous Huxley, obviously. Anyway, that guy heard LSD calling to him like a Bible story saying – because he had, he had invented it and he didn't know what it was and he put it on the shelf. And then one night he heard a voice going like, go back to that. Go back to that thing. So he literally heard a voice, and I love that story. Um, but you just felt it was like a voice. <laughs> it's just like, I would it say there was a voice, but that was when I was younger, when I was still home, and the voice was just saying, "There's something else." Yeah, yeah. there's something else. Wow. Um, and then your school let you go to India. Yeah, yeah. So I created this project. <laughs> Wow. Uh, an independent study project saying I want to go to India to study meditation. So this is uh, 1970, and that's what education was. I mean, school was, you know, rocking and rolling anyway. There were lots of riots and, you know, wow. sit-ins and all kinds of stuff. So they said, yeah, go, go somewhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> so For I went to safety, India. your safety, we like this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I went to India, and uh, I did stay somewhat more than a year, but I did go back to Buffalo, and then I I did what I needed to do to get two years of independent study credit. So I ended up graduating, uh, only having gone to college for two years. Wow. Wow. So you and were then I went back to India. 18 at that point? I was or? 18 when I went to India. Wow. Yeah. So you went back. And is that... Sharon! I know. 18 in the 60s and you went to India. <sighs> this is the coolest thing I've ever heard. I know. But I wasn't the only one, you know? Like no, people I know. went when they were 17, you know? Like, yeah. Wow. That's Go, amazing. What were you say, Valentine? Well, did you meet Ramdas at that point? Was I, he so, in India? Yeah, I got to India because um, we all went overland. You know, so it took a while to get there. Oh yeah. And what does that mean, overland? What overland? So uh, we flew to. I went with a small group of friends. We flew to England, got on the train, the Orient Express, went to Istanbul. You well, know, I'd never even been to California <laughs> when I went to. You know, <laughs> when I went. To you went the other way. So then from Istanbul, it was all like trains and buses and overland through wow. um, uh, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, wow. and India. Wow. So, uh, you went through Babylon. Yeah. You know, and like some people, uh, you know, our, our bus in Afghanistan didn't go up to Bamiyan to see the Buddha. Some people's did, like Mirabai's, you know, but that's how people traveled then. You know, wow. But even that must have, you know, like... In the way that we are, we get there instantly and stuff. Even that, Val is pregnant right now. And we're sort of tripping out on the slowness of that. So even that slowness, you had all this time to anticipate and think and prepare. And I have to imagine study and talk and connect and be bored even, which is something that we just don't have as much of. Mm -hmm. So I feel, do you feel like that? Even the trip there opened your heart, started softening you a little oh, bit? Oh, yeah, but it was also terrifying, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, oh, we were bored, you know. Like, yeah. It was we were bored. You were in peril. <laughs> Why was it terrifying? I mean, everything was so different and, and yeah. you know, uh, you know, the, those routes, you know, were were not, like, highly touristed, you know. So mm. on right. all sides, it was just like, you know, sitting in those buses and. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was pretty intense. Um, <laughs> and you were always with a group, though. Yeah, yeah. When I got to India, I really felt like, oh, this is home. You know, this really? is, yeah, mm-hmm. it was a tremendous sense of. Right away. Home. Yeah, right away. You got there and you were like, ah. Yeah. Wow. So I, I also didn't know really where to go. Like, I had this very. Were you what? Yeah, what were you basing on where in India to go? When well, you were... that was confusing. Like, yeah. I, you know, I didn't quite know where to 
go. So <laughs> we started out in Dharamsala because I'd heard the Dalai Lama was there and I knew he was a Buddhist. And mm-hmm. I thought, oh, I'll learn how to meditate. And um, I have this kind of <laughs> passion for learning how to do it, uh-huh. you know, which is also kind of grace. It's yeah. like, you know, I just, I want to know how to do it. I don't want to like spend 20 years getting ready to learn how to do it. You know, I, I want to do it. It's mm-hmm. It's almost like, Books, reading a book on how to meditate, it's almost a letdown how simple it is. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, it yeah. doesn't take a whole book to explain yeah, yeah. what to do. Like, David Nicktern said that Trungpa Rinpoche was like, follow your breath yeah. and focus on the part where you're not breathing or inhaling, that like yeah. spacious part. And he was like, that's it. That's the end. It's like when you find out how a magic trick works. It's like, well, there's two cards. There's a, there's a duplicate card. And you're mm-hmm. like, oh, it's a letdown. It's a disappointment. <laughs> so just get to it. Now that you know it, just do it, right? Yeah. But we, especially in the West, I think we want to collect it and we want to have the books on our shelves that go like, see, I know what I'm about yeah. to say. When yeah. really, in reality, it's very simple and it's not very sexy. No, but you have to do it. <laughs> right, but you have to do it. It's simple. <laughs> right, right, right. It's not easy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's good. I like that. So keep going. Uh, you were like, I want to do it. I don't want to think so about I, it. So I right. went to Dharamsala and um, uh, there were, you know, tremendous Tibetan lamas there, and there were classes, but it was one of those circumstances where, you know, things just don't work. It's like I'd go to the class, and the lama would be out of town for two weeks. So they'd say, I'll come back in two weeks. I'd no lama. Two weeks. The translator was gone, you know. So come back in. Lama's here. We don't know what he's saying. You know, so it was just like endless, you know, oh, obstacles. Right. So then I overheard a conversation in a Tibetan restaurant. These two people were saying, there was going to be an international yoga conference in New Delhi. Mm. And I thought, oh, I'll go there. So we went there, and it was like this totally dismal event where um, <laughs> the low point was when these yogis and swamis were sitting up on the stage, pushing and shoving against each other to be the first to grab the mic and speak. No. And I thought, oh, this just isn't going to work. I should go back to Buffalo. Oh, my <laughs> um, God. <laughs> And then uh, Dan Goldman, Danny Goldman was giving a talk for, I, you know, I always mean to ask him, why were you giving a talk at that yoga conference? It was like <laughs> the unlikeliest thing. He's like, he was a graduate student at the time in psychology. He was studying meditation. Somehow he was giving a talk. And he said at the end of the talk that he was on his way to this town called Bodhgaya where the Buddha had become enlightened to, this, to do this intensive 10-day meditation retreat. Ramdas was going to be there as a participant. And it was it was known for a system that was like the straight stuff, you know, mm. no cultural baggage, no, you know, you didn't need to become a Buddhist or anything else, no kind of heavy ideology. It's just you just learn how to do it. Wow. Mm. And I thought that's it, and it wasn't. <laughs> so a whole bunch of us. You are Moana. Why are we talking about Moana? <laughs> you are Moana. <laughs> a whole bunch of Danny Goldman is, you know. I, yeah, <laughs> but I don't know that many people that went on adventures. You went on an adventure. Worthy of a movie. How badly I would like to just see, not a dramatization, I'd love to just see what you did. This whole time I'm like, well, what did you eat those two weeks when you were waiting for the llama and the translator (laughs) to get there? Who did you talk to? Where did you sleep? It was a real adventure. It was. And then one day they're like, Ramdas, who's a celebrity, kind of, with the hippies. Yeah, yeah. Is going to be at this thing, and then you go, and it's what you're looking for, and then it is what you're looking for? Yeah, it We're is. Gonna, and so Ramdas was at all of my uh, – Goenka, who's the teacher, was teaching 10-day courses many in a row with a few days in between, you know, um, usually a break. And 
Uh, they weren't all silent. Re- those retreats, there were periods of silence or days of silence. So we were hanging out a lot. And uh, Ramdas received a, a parcel of the box of Be Here Now for the first time when we were there together. No. You know, so he opened it the up. The string bound one? The, the one the, that was the box, you know, with the, the box separate, with the letter yeah, and yeah, everything. Yeah. yeah. Wow. You know, and uh, so it was a tremendous fun, too. Krishnadas was there um, at my first retreat nearby. Uh, but there weren't, you know, Krishnadas was Jeffrey. And this was, this was, it was from there that they got on that rented bus and went to look for Maharaji. And I waved goodbye. Right. So. Yeah, I remember and that. Sometimes when Krishnadas and I are teaching together, he tells the story from his point of view, and I tell the story from my What's point of view. What's the difference? Well, he, he got on the bus, and I didn't. Right. You know? Oh, I thought, he, I thought his interpretation was different. No, no, no. He got on, and I didn't. <laughs> yeah. So he left Jeffrey, came back as Krishna does. You know? Right. Wow. And that, it's interesting. Is that hard? Because so for the people listening who haven't listened, we've had a lot of these people on the podcast, but it's been a while. So the idea is Maharaji is Ramdas's guru and, and was a very transformative guru for a lot of people. And so I've experienced, and Val was there, the first time I went to the retreat, I actually got really low because I was, um, even though he had long left his body, I was very sad and depressed that all these people, all these groovy older people had met this guy. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, well, fuck this. I felt really like this is just a bunch of guys bragging <laughs> that they went and drank from the well. And the well's empty now. But if you want, you can hang out with the guys that drank at the well. So I, I, it was very hard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I make it as a joke now, but I remember just like sitting on that little beach and just being like, this is a bummer. I hate this. <laughs> like I came to get more, not be, be told yeah, yeah. I wouldn't too have late. it. Yeah. Too late. Yeah. yeah, It's like I moved to Chicago right after Del Close, the improv guru, had died. And everybody was like, well... <laughs> You didn't study with Dell. It was not a, not the same, but I had that same yeah, feeling, yeah. but yeah, worse. Yeah. And was there any of any of that when you were like, "What if I got on the bus?" Oh, or? sure. I mean, some- <laughs> 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 of course. I mean, the last time I was with Krishna, somewhere we were teaching with him, and um, and and somebody said, "Well, why didn't you get on the bus?" It was a combination of I had just found practice for the first time. Yeah, I was totally into it. I was probably very nervous, you know. Anyway, and. Nervous to go? To go, and, yeah. you know, yeah. like I sort of found a home in... And had been looking. Yeah. For a while. Yeah, I had been looking and it was so... I mean, the moment I started that retreat, I knew it was true. Yeah. I had a very hard time concentrating or being there in many ways, but I absolutely knew there was truth there. And so, mm. and then I said, but fundamentally, I said to Krishna, I said, you didn't even know where Neem Curly Baba was. Right. You were just going off to find him. I thought, yeah. that's... And I said, how long did it take you? Like, you know, he said, like, you know, five hours or something. Five Ten hours. hours, you know. Like, <laughs> oh, my gosh. It, it was pretty fast. That is There was annoying. no knowing, right? There <laughs> 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 was no knowing. You know, you guys are going to wander around India. You know, you could yeah. be here meditating. And, right. right. And could they could have come back empty-handed. Yeah. 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 Right. right. It but was it, this. Oh, sorry, baby. It is interesting. Like, your story is so clearly was so guided by the call or whatever. Right. Uh, do you now feel like there was a, a – that everything happened and in, unfolded in the way that it should have? I, I do. Yeah. You know, I do. I did – somebody brought me after New Curly Baba or Maharaji, as he was called, died. Somebody brought me uh, 
to one of his ashrams, the one in Brindavan, and I just felt and forged like this incredible connection with him, but he was already gone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, one of my friends said that that was because for me, I was used to like, like with my father being gone or, you know, my mother being gone. I was just like disembodied connection, you know, so. Maybe it was meant to be that way too. You yeah, because right. it's the opposite of not talking about someone dying. Yeah. It's like fully connecting with yeah. someone who has He's left gone, their body. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's, wow, that's very cool. That's very lovely. It, that, but don't you see? Uh, I know you do. I'm sort of saying. <laughs> I, mean, I don't. Don't you see? <laughs> I didn't have someone like coffee. me. <laughs> do you want some almond milk for this <laughs> or something? Did he say he had almond milk? Alex, do you have any milk? Can we get a, a like a cup like that with some milk? Sorry, we're bossing you around so much. <laughs> but to someone waiter. like me, he's so good. Um, that sat on the beach. I don't feel that way anymore. By the way, I'm happy to say um, I was sitting there. Zach Leary came and sat and helped, and all these things. It was beautiful. But now I hear that, and I go, "Oh, thank goodness!" Because that's so much more appealing than just another yeah. material thing. Yeah. What a letdown if it would just be. What are we believing in if it's yeah. just you got you had to touch his yeah, feet? Right, right. And we see this in the Jesus story. We see this in a lot of uh, guru or, or enlightened or whatever you want to say, peoples, that it's not about that. Yeah. That the, the relationship is to be had however you can. Yeah. You are a Thank good man. Thank you so much. <laughs> no, I, I really believe that. And, and But I also understand your... I don't know how we're going to do this. Your feeling. Can we pour because, this in? Yeah. You can put it in. It's going to be very milky. It's like a latte. That's good. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just, having a latte, everybody. <laughs> Thank you. Delicious. Thank you, Alex. Um, I also understand exactly what you're going through because I've seen it many times, and I think some of that depends on the skill of the presentation, you know, mm-hmm. and like of what of their presentation, you ah. know, because it can feel like nostalgia. Yeah, and, and for I, me too, you know, because I wasn't there, you know. Right. Yeah. I know they work against that. Yeah, sure they do. If they're listening, it's certainly not how I feel now. Yeah, you yeah, know, they do work against it. Yeah. And I think they, they, uh, they, as anybody would needed to hear that that was a possible repercussion. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, and always include and include and really open and right. Make yeah. sure no one feels left out. But you can, I mean, I do it too because. I sit and I listen to colleagues uh, from the Buddhist tradition speak, and they're sprinkling all these Pali terms, you know, Pali being like Sanskrit. Mm. And um, and I think, no one knows what you're talking about. Yeah. Mm. You know, <laughs> right. but you get so used to it. Right, like, right. A sangha is one example for community, you know, right. like. And I've heard people go on and on and on about how important sangha is, and I think they're wondering what's so important out there, you know? Right, like, right. What is nobody it? knows what you're saying. Right. And, yeah. But even Maharaji and the body are knowing lingo. These are all clinging things. It's like, no, being, yeah. this is Ramdas being in and knowing you're in. I'm yeah. in and I know I'm in because yeah. I know the lingo. It's like knowing poker terms or remembering a great poker player. <laughs> it's mm. like that's how you know you're really in. What were you going to say? Uh, I was. I guess this is a little bit of a change of subject, but I was just wondering what um, draws you to towards Buddhism a little bit over Hinduism, or or maybe you're not. Is it just that you found that first, or or do you take from both, or how how does that work for you now? Um, I think it was in the beginning, it was a little bit mysterious in the beginning. I knew I wanted to learn Buddhist meditation, you mm-hmm. know. And um, 
And this is kind of before, sorry to interject, but it's kind of before we all knew what Buddhism was. Yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah. I just want to point out that it's a little bit weird or interesting <laughs> or no, let's say noteworthy. <laughs> now, if someone's like, it's almost a cliche that a 12-year-old girl might be like, I'm more like a Buddhist. <laughs> yeah. Because she thinks Buddhist people are like relaxed. Yeah. yeah. They're sort of chill. Like yeah. You, you picture Richard Gere and he's not yelling and you're like, yeah. that's like me. So <laughs> yeah. it's, it's interesting yeah. that you yeah. were like leaning this yeah, way. Yeah, I was, I mean, from the beginning, I think I wrote the proposal. I want to study Buddhist meditation. <laughs> you know, so I just, that was a knowing too. That was like wow. a, um, and now, I, I mean, I only, you know, I, I hang out with Hindus a lot. You yes, know? I know that. And, and I, you know, I love, say, Krishna Das's chanting and, and mm-hmm. I've listened to it through many a life experience. And mm-hmm. um, when I was working on the book Faith, um, one of the tenets within Buddhism is that um, the right kind of questioning, the right kind of doubt is a real uh, aid to faith. You know, it's not taking away from faith. You need that right. in order to enhance your faith. So I was working with this freelance editor and she said, well, then if you're not going to say doubt is the opposite of faith, what's the opposite of faith? And I said, despair. Mm. And she said, well, you know, you need to write a despair chapter then. And I said, I don't really want to. <laughs> you know, like, like, <laughs> but I actually wrote it listening constantly to Krishnadasa's chanting. Wow. You know, I just had it on and on and on. on. You know, so, mm. I mean, I tremendously admire that path and, and especially his gift, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and the gift of many people. And uh, a lot of the difference is just languaging. It's like when I'm up on that stage with Ramdas, it's it's mostly teasing. You know, he likes to use the word soul. Every second and a half, because he knows yeah, I he never use it, it you know. It. And then, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I, there's something about the Buddhist tradition uh, that's incredibly clear and direct mm, mm-hmm. and simple, but, you know, it's just very clear. Um, and I, I think that that kind of clarity uh, has, in, nowadays, you know, it's a part of revivals in Jewish spirituality, for example, or, mm. you know, a other schools or other approaches. Um, like when I went to India, uh, and people always ask this too, you know, why did I find it in Judaism? Mm. Um, my experience of Jewish spirituality at that point was that it was all looking back. You know, it wasn't about your own growth and change, and uh, except being a good person, you know, yeah. which would be very strong in there, but... Um, the idea of being enlightened or being free, you know, that made no sense because you're mm. supposed to be reading the words of the people of old, you know, right. yeah. and admiring them. That's what you did. You didn't think about being the living embodiment of a tradition. That was right. arrogance, you know. So, right. And, but in Buddhism, it's right there. It's up to you. It's not. I mean, as one of my teachers, this man named Manindra, said to me at one point, "The Buddha's enlightenment solved the Buddha's problem. Now you solve yours." Oh, I love it. I you know, love. and that's, that's what huge, drew me. That's yes. such a huge shift. Um, I love that. Jesus said, that's that's my tradition, um, <laughs> said you'll do far greater things than these. And it's one of my favorite things that people never talk about. That's right. And my friend Rob Bell and I are always saying, if Jesus came back, he'd be like, what are you doing still talking about me? Mm-hmm. I don't understand. <laughs> and that is sacrilegious and it's wrong. And I, it, when you're thinking about Judaism, I'm like, if there was a metaphor – like Abraham sacrificing Isaac seems like a pretty good metaphor for attachment. Yeah. If you want God, you have to be willing to kill your son. 
always seem like such a cruel thing unless you go like, I need to be so not sticky that I see through even the illusion of son father relationship. It's just what, well, how would you, do you have any relationship with Judaism like that now where you can go, I see a little bit. I mean, I, I, I don't, you know, really, I mean, unlike friends of mine, you know, like my colleague, Sylvia Borstein, who um, wrote a book, called uh, Funny You Don't Look Buddhist. <laughs> and the subtitle is something like I'm being a passionate Buddhist and a faithful Jew or passionate Jew and a faithful Buddhist. I can't remember. That's so it. funny. You know, and, and she would... It's a great title. She's much more observant than I am. I don't really think about... You didn't find... I, I Again, leading question. I found psychological or like something redemptive about going back and going, oh, when Jesus says, store not your treasure where moth and rust can corrupt, that's non-attachment. Or look at the birds of the air. They don't worry about where their food is. I'm like, oh, that's presence. That's mindfulness. And that's Buddhism. Or going into the desert for 40 days as Buddha went into the woods for 40 days and having the three temptations as Buddhism. I like going back and going, ha ha, I wasn't a fool. Or like I was, I didn't see. I didn't have ears to hear, as, as he would say. Were you devout when you were young? Somewhat. I just saw it as morality. I, mm-hmm. I wonder where you stand on morality now. Morality is an interesting issue for me. Because now, it, it, to me, it's about establishing a connection or being in the moment and sometimes being unkind or um, whatever a sin might be is just kind of disrupting. It's adding static to that song on the radio. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I was young, I was like, we're Christian. That's first. <laughs> and then we do all these things to sort of prove that we are. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You can't be a Christian and go around and saying motherfucker. And I'm like, yeah, you can. <laughs> now I'm like, sure you can. Yeah. It's how you're doing it, yeah, I, would, yeah. I would say. But what is your relationship to morality and what is a Buddhist perspective on being um, good? People, Someone dies and they're like, well, he was good. He'll be okay. He was a good guy. You know, he didn't stab anybody. He's okay. What What is really going on? Uh, I think it's complex. You know, it's maybe even especially complex in these times because – uh, first of all, a lot of Buddhist morality seems to rest on intention, you know. So mm-hmm. maybe you say something very harsh to somebody, but genuinely you're coming from a place of compassion. Not like make believe you're coming from a place of compassion. Well, that's a that's but a, genuinely you are. It's like tough love, you know. That's and a so, Buddhist joke, like the master that hits the yeah, student yeah, yeah. who's doing it out of love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. he know? wants him to be so alert. Yeah. That he knows that the master is about to whack him. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Which sounds crazy. <laughs> or whenever you hear those Zen stories, the yeah. master sounds like a jerk. Yeah, but, you know, and he might have been, but you have to be careful, really. But What do you mean? I mean, you have to choose your master very yeah, maybe wisely. He you know? like, maybe he is just a jerk. Oh. Um, but, you know, so there's that, you know, and that's why it's unfathomable what somebody's intention was, except to them. Yeah. You know, um, but then there's also, you know, I don't, really believe in moral relativism and uh, I do believe that there are actions that are harmful and there are actions that are helpful mm-hmm. and it's and I think that's very much in accord with the Buddhist teaching you know so mm-hmm. it's not like as rigid uptight repressive system but um, you know we also live in a time where there's a lot of uh, conversation about you know, not sort of taking a stand on right versus wrong or, you know, and everyone has to be in a room together in harmony and we have to listen to one another and have civil conversations. And right. I think that's all lovely, but I, I don't really want people who 
um, believe, you know, women shouldn't have an education, for example, you know. Right, right, right. To have the power to uh, stop women stop, from being educated. Stop me from being educated, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, so I, I think there is a kind of moral clarity also mm-hmm. that comes, which is difficult, you know, because it's Isn't not... Isn't that a Buddhist thing? Discernment or something? Yeah. That's yeah, one yeah. of the things, mm. one yeah. of the edges of the sword. Yeah, you need discernment because yeah. otherwise it's it's sort of mushy, you know? Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to say you came from a good intention, you really have to look, did I come from a good intention? And was what I did skillful, you know, even if I had a tremendous generous intention am i just stupid enough to like you know take that present and hurl it across the room or something you know yeah. like we yeah. need to learn skills and, and our words have impact or you know things like that right and so yeah um so it's a very complex area and I'm, I'm sort of not on the left-leaning fringe you know right right, right, right. <laughs> that one <laughs> that's interesting that is interesting because yeah i'm often thinking of how to reconcile um you know, compassion and surrender and non-attachment with social justice, especially in this time. And like what to, you know, it's, it's people who are suffering and marginalized and have been for a long time. It's kind of hard to, to say to them, it's not very compassionate to them to say, well, you should have compassion for your oppressor or, you know, like, and it's not really your place. And like, what do you fight for? Where does righteous anger fit into that? Like all of that is really. That's my next book. It is. Is Oh, I can't wait for that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I haven't quite started writing it, but no, I have (laughs) sort of started. I have started writing it, you know, I mean, I think, and since I think about it all the time, you know, but it is my next book. Oh, that's cool. Because I'm. Maybe this will help me understand. It's like we had a friend whose um, cousin was like attacked on a bus, like a young girl, and she was attacked. And this isn't, it wasn't like a horrible, like she's not dead story, but it's the sort of thing that happens in New York and it sucks. And it was very, very sad. And when she was telling me, I had just been meditating. The the woman herself or her cousin was? The woman whose cousin was attacked. And obviously I was very sad. And then you catch yourself trying to buddhize what's happening (laughs) and when you and kind of what i hear val saying is i'm like it doesn't always feel very human to go with what ramdas might say to that is like well we're all god and dragon we're all playing and in this incarnation those people that attacked your cousin were playing the aggressor because it's it's the one consciousness and it wants to know itself so it's playing this game and to know what pain is like, it plays your cousin. And to know what cruelty is like, it p- plays the girls that attacked your cousin. Mm-hmm. And you, and obviously Ram Dass doesn't say say that. He's a very compassionate and his heart breaks and all that stuff. And then behind it, he's always sort of saying like there's a giggle or there's sort of like a look at nothing is really happening at all. But you can't say any of that. You know what I mean? And <laughs> you certainly, you ser- yeah, no, I never would. I wasn't even tempted. I, I was just thinking about it afterwards. And you also can't say, well, you know, it's karma. It's interesting. Isn't it funny how it, everything is lawful? And if you look at it, no, none of us have free will. It's just this system like a body churning and everything that happens this should be happening. <laughs> Sharon should miss the bus. We like that one. That's we do fun. like that one. That works out okay. <laughs> and, th- and this young girl gets uh, punched, and that sucks. What do we do there? Yeah. That's my question. Well, um, <laughs> that's also a little complex. I, um, 
I uh, often use this example of um, – it's actually it's Tibetan meditation instruction. I don't use it as a meditation instruction. I use it more in this context of compassion and equanimity or spaciousness. Um, so the illustration is that uh, they say – the instruction is, let's say you're a very elderly person sitting in a playground watching children play. And that's how you should be when you look at your own thoughts as though you were a very elderly person sitting in a playground watching children play. So, you know, what's the vibe of that? You, you, you're, you've lived a long time. You've probably let go of a lot. You've seen a lot. Mm. And here you are. You watch this kid, like, totally freak out because he breaks a shovel. Yeah. And you don't go up, like, all cold and mean and say, you know, kid, it's just a shovel. Wait till you have a real problem. But on the other hand, you don't fall down on the ground sobbing because if you fall down on the ground sobbing, there's nothing beyond mm. the circumstance. And you know what? Shovels break. Mm -hmm. That's a part of life. So uh, in the context I use it, I say that I as a person, if I tell someone my very sad story, um, I certainly don't want them to say, hey, it's just a shovel. You know, forget right, it. Of course not. But I also, if they fell down on the ground sobbing, I'd completely freak out. Yeah. yeah. You know, so I want both. I want, like, the tenderness and care and compassion. And I'd want something bigger, even yeah. if it's not verbal, even if it's in their eyes, you know, just some glimpse of something bigger. So I, I realize that's what I actually want. And I think that's what we do want. And that's what we can provide. But it's very difficult. Right. Because yeah. you can't always do it with words. And it sounds so callous if you just go there you so you know? don't explain right. it but you have as ramdas would say you have this spaciousness that's in right. you that's where right. if they'd like to come in and play that's in right. the don't shovels break space yeah they can yeah that's right there's room for it i yeah. don't know why that made so much sense when i heard him say that because you can almost feel yeah your brain expanding when you go i'm not holding on to 15 clever yeah. explanations yeah. for this yeah. or nine yeah. books i've read mm. you're just going like I, you know, when she told me, I wish I had been more like that. That would have been lovely. But that's that's so helpful. I love that. You know, and also, I, I I have a podcast too. You know, yeah, <laughs> I, do. I listen to you it. Do. That's what. That's, that's why Val was like, "I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming." <laughs> um, and I interviewed uh, this guy Tim Christopher, who's an environmental activist. He went to prison for some uh, thing that usually people don't go to prison for. Like he bid on he bid an auction on land. They were going to drill oil for oil on, and, and he couldn't afford the land, something like that. Anyway, so I always followed him as an environmental activist. And then when he got out, he went to Harvard Divinity School, which really intrigued me. And then, uh -huh. and then he was on my podcast, and he said something in this context. I have to go back and listen to it from my book. But um, it's something about almost like establishing a compassion core because mm. you would it would be so incorrect to ask the victim – to be the one to have compassion for the perpetrator. Right. But someone should have compassion for the perpetrator. Right. Right. Because that's the only way they'll potentially heal and yeah. see wow. more clearly and move on. But it's so unfair to ask right. the person who's been harmed to be the <sighs> one. So maybe we need like a roving band of, you know. Yeah. Yes. We can yeah. lend it out. Exactly. The compassion core, something like that. I My, love that. I love wow. that too. My friend, uh, Ken Bishop, who I actually went to church with when I was young, we stayed in touch. He he emailed me and he was like, I, I think, and he, in love, we email all the time. He was like, you should be careful when you say suffering is grace. Obviously, I'm quoting Ramdas because he's like, you know, I lost my father. And like, if 
you said suffering is grace. I, I just, I would have gotten very mad at you. Mm. <laughs> and maybe he was mad at me and that's okay. And that's why I, whenever we talk about suffering being grace, we say, don't say that. However, I will say that when I was suffering, you said suffering is grace and I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. there's different. Sometimes it, is, sometimes it is what you want. That speaks well to your humility. And like, <laughs> no, I mean, because as you've heard me tell the story, when I say, you know, when I see my own mind getting on this arc of anxiety, I say to myself, something will happen. Mm. So every once in a while, something you know, I'm like, and something's going on and. Like 15 people will say to me, well, something will happen. I'll think, oh, shut up. You know? yeah. like, why are you telling me That's that? I so know that. Funny. Right. <laughs> That's so funny. When yeah. you're feeling anxious. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 There's that book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, and I sometimes notice. I didn't even read all of it. I read some of it. And I've noticed sometimes when I'm on set and I'm feeling overwhelmed, which happens, I catch myself just going, who gives a fuck? And it helps so much. Yeah. It's not an aggressive, angry who gives a fuck. Mm -hmm. I think it's actually, the book is covertly trying to land in some it. Buddhism. Again, I haven't read enough to know either. I really just read the intro. But just from that, I got like the beautiful who gives a fuck. I was like, I don't think I can do this. And then you go, who gives a fuck? And it's the Maharaji giggle to me. Yeah. 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 Is when I was, I, the second season, I was really dealing with a lot of lowness. I had lost my why. I lost my why am I doing the show? I was doing the show. It was fun, but I had lost the why. And I caught myself going like, um, maybe if I have a different coffee, I'll drink a different coffee and I'll have some fruit because the sugar in the fruit will help me think. And I would picture Maharaji giggling, going, he thinks it's fruit. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's in that's the ballpark tagline. Who, he thinks it's fruit. <laughs> he thinks, he thinks it's fruit. and that and I've told this story many times, but I love thinking about it. I listened to a Ram Dass thing, and it happened. It was one of those long six-hour uh, things on my phone, and it happened to be at the part where he was like, "That suffering, my lowness. The, uh, not only had I lost my why, I had lost the big picture why, and I had lost my practice. And that's why this season." fucking meditating like my life depends on it because I had that experience of not meditating and losing it. And then he says that malaise and malaise was the right word. I was feeling malaise because mm -hmm. that's what depression feels like. Mm -hmm. Too many blankets to me, just too many blankets. You don't want to move. Nothing tastes good. It sucks. And he was like that malaise was a calling to me to say there's something more than what you're doing. Even though you're playing the game everyone taught you how to mm -hmm. play and you're even winning the game in a certain, to a certain extent, that everyone told you to play. I had someone on set go, Pete, if you're not happy, you'll never be happy. He didn't know I wasn't happy because I was pretending to be happy. Mm -hmm. and, he, and he was like, look at this. This whole crew is here for you. We shut down this, this the whole area for you. Man, if you're not happy, you'll never be happy. And I was miserable. Oh, wow. Well. And it was yeah. a very lonely, terrible moment. And then talk about grace. I hit play. I didn't even want to. I hit play on that Ramdas thing because I had this memory i was like that used to make me feel good <laughs> so i sat there and i wasn't even agreeing or liking it and he said that thing and and my world stopped and and it's been on our fridge ever since mm -hmm. that I, I don't know why i told that story but it just it makes me happy to remember it yeah. but that this is what i want to put to you suddenly so i've been quote unquote meditating for years and then talk about people being ready when they're ready and how you can't make someone change and you can't I have a bit of a savior complex. If something turns me on, I want to tell everybody about it. And I, I've loaded up um, pod 
I bought iPods and loaded them with all the books and things and given them to family members. Of course, none of it happens. <laughs> it shouldn't happen. That's, it wasn't their, their time. So I've had a little bit more of that surrender because what happened with me was meditating for years, years and years. But it would come and go. And like I said, I had a low point. I realized it was very, very important. And then just one day meditation. Like one day meditation. Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't explain it. It's like Ram Dass doesn't be here now. He's like, the snake sheds its skin when it sheds its skin. The caterpillar doesn't think I'm going to be a butterfly. I'm not saying I'm a butterfly. I'm just saying I'm meditating. One day a natural event happens. How many retreats have I been to? How many talks of yours have I been to? And then one day, and this is a mitzvah, it just clicks. It's grace. Suddenly, meditation becomes my favorite thing. Yeah. And you're actually cutting into sleep to meditate. The call is at 6 a.m. and you're still waking up really early so you can do it. But not because I intellectualized it. Not because I went, it's good or I should. And I'm being honest. I can brag about this on the podcast because I, I promise I'm not bragging. I'm really saying that it, it took six years of kind of meditating to one day going, every book I read, every, and I'm obsessed with Ram Dass, every he's talking about meditation. He, and I'm just listening. I know maybe taking notes, meditation. I write down, not really doing it. And then one day, meditation. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, it's, it's a passion. And, and I wonder if you can speak to that, the readiness. Because you're a teacher, Mm-hmm. How, you can't. You must have a certain surrender that you don't. You know, you can't really do anything for anybody. Is that? Does that feel right? Well, I think it's, first of all, I'm going to go back to the fruit for a moment. Fruit, <laughs> yeah, that, fruit. That every time I read some piece of research, like pomegranates, the answer. You know, <laughs> yes. Mm. Oh yeah. Feeling sad? Have a pomegranate. I'm going to send it to you. That's <laughs> <Yes>. hilarious. <laughs> maybe he thinks it's the fruit, <laughs> and maybe it is the fruit. Woo! I did a, 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 a Vine video a long time ago of an unboxing of an iPhone. And I put a note in it that's a post-it. So you know how people do unboxing videos? So I'm opening the new iPhone, I take the thing off, and then I put a post-it on it that says, you're still going to die. <laughs> which, I thought, which, I was really, which was really funny to me. I thought that was hilarious. Or whenever we buy a green juice, we go, we're still going to die. And then we drink the green oh, juice. Oh, you are a funny couple. <laughs> When's the baby coming? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. we'll go there. I've, I've thought about how our baby will, in a beautiful way, will one day die. Uh, not in the sad way. We, we have, you try and sit with that horror. You know what I'm saying? I know you do. <laughs> no, I definitely. It's very that is a very Buddhist thing to yeah, do. Well, we, you guys used to sit, you guys, sit in cemeteries with yeah, burning bodies, yeah, decaying bodies. This is the jam. Yeah. Go ahead, baby. I just was going to say, I, I want Pete to do this bit on stage that we kind of stumbled upon where we're, we're talking about, like, how do you tell a, a baby that they'll one day die and all of that? <laughs> Yes, will you bit. do it? You're good. Just like the... Oh, we think it's too dark. Every once in a while, we'll come up with a bit and we're like, I think it's too dark. Because you ran it by I, name drop, Ira Glass. Yeah. And he went, that's very dark. <laughs> he went, act one, that's very dark. Uh, but but the bit is, well, how are we going to explain this to Leela? Well, her name's gonna, Leela. Oh, her name yeah. is Leela. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so we'll be like, well, uh, there's sunsets. Sunsets are beautiful, and sometimes you see every color and it reflects in the water. And um, there's birds; they sing songs. They sing songs all day. There's candy; it's sweet. You're gonna love it. One day you die. Uh, 
There's ice cream. There's ice cream. Like you're just going to breathe out. ice cream. Mommy's going to die. Uh, there's, there's bicycles puppies. and puppies. Dad's definitely going to die. Just bury Chances it. Chances are you're going to watch your dad die. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, how do, but I know you know. Let's talk a little bit about not honoring life, but not being attached to it. Because this past week, I've been having a headache every day for five days. And I'm not Jewish, but I uh, enjoy neuroses. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I relate to Ramdas, right? Very hard in that way because I'm not Jewish, but I am a comedian. <laughs> if that makes any sense. So I'm having this headache that lasts for five days. And I'm like, this is it. You're, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. You have something and you're going to die. It's starting to fade away. I'm happy about that. But for a while there, I was meditating and I felt this pressure behind my eyes that I was pretty convinced was going to kill me. And then that was really, really hard work. And, and I said to Val, I was like, this is when she said suffering is grace, by the way. She, this is, I was like, this is really the rubber meeting the motherfucking road. Mm-hmm. I think my baby's about to be born and I'm going to die. <laughs> and I'm sitting there with that. And I go, can I just have tea with this anxiety? Is it possible? And man, it was really hard. It was really because you're actually feeling physical pain and you're going, this is it. And, and, and you are going to die one day. Even if it's not this, it will be something, which is, which is what our joke is with the baby. Mm-hmm. It never, unfortunately, for a lot of us, it's never a good time to die. It's never great. You know, it's always a surprise and a letdown. So can, can, <laughs> but, you know, he who finds his way in the morning can gladly go in the evening. This is the obsession, one of the obsessions of my life. And I have to imagine you have a relationship with it as well. I do. And now I have to go back to you're giving us. <laughs> I'm so behind. So I'm way behind. Wait, what yeah. are you going back to? I'm going back to <laughs> you giving the iPods to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm so you behind. Do you yeah. want the notes? That's do you want to come way, to the yeah. You're behind because we keep interrupting We're you. We're excited to, to talk so to you. slow. <laughs> no, Where do you guys any more coffee? I'm going to give you tons of time now. Okay. Mute my mic. <laughs> <laughs> He's cut off. So I think it's good that you give those iPods, you know, like. Really? I do, because it's like planting a seed, you know. I mean, mm. you have to be, uh, and it's almost like the, it has to be a freely given gift. It can't be with expectations and strings attached and yeah. that desperate need for someone to. And it's hard. I mean, that's part of the poignancy of compassion is that sometimes we're right. You know, we're not just nosy, but it would help somebody so much and you cannot mm. make it so, you know. and. Yeah. You just can't force someone to do anything. And so as long as it's a freely given gift. It's like I remember when Ram Dass had the stroke and he was living in California at the time. And he finally got out of the rehab hospital. And I went to visit him in, in his house in California. And, you know, his living room was piled high with things people had sent him. Mm. Uh, and it was beautiful. It was such a mark of respect and a gesture toward how much impact he'd had and uh, very generous, but sometimes there were these notes accompanying it, which were, um, it was just, I, I felt like the internal experience of it was likely one of a lot of pressure. You know, if I got a note like that, it was something like, take 15 drops of this and you'll definitely be walking again in two weeks. Oh, wow. And I think the internal sense would be, or my my inner dialogue I suspect would be what if it doesn't work will you love me anyway yeah are you in here for the long haul or are you in here for the success do you want to say me? you cured Ramda that's right wow and then you'll put you it know. on the bottle and you'll sell it you know so the day I was visiting him this bottle of Ganges water arrived water from the Ganges river and it came with exactly that kind of note like 
take 15 drops of this and you'll definitely be walking again. And I said, Ramdas, don't drink that. Yeah. You'll get cholera if you drink that. You know, yeah. don't drink that. Whatever you That's do, the first you know. Thing so people say when they give you water from the Ganges, they go, "Don't drink it." But, uh, <laughs> look here, at here it. You go. <laughs> Just look at it. Uh, you know. So there's like. Um, and that's, that's a, you know, every time I've told that story, it's very hard to tell because it sounds like I'm trying to make people wrong, you know, yeah. for sending the stuff or, which I'm really not. But every time, like, I remember telling this story in New Mexico teaching, and then I went to the bathroom line, you know, and all these women came up to me and said, I had cancer. I know exactly what you mean. Mm. You know, like, there's a way of being with somebody and offering, and there's also other ways of being with them. Mm. and offering differently, you know. Did you have cancer? I'm sorry. I'm no, 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 no. What, what do they mean by that? They meant that they they received the, um, when they had cancer, they got a lot of pressure, like, oh, from do that this, story. do that, do that, do that, do that, do that. I understand. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. rusty. I haven't been podcasting. <laughs> I couldn't follow a story. Yeah. <laughs> I understand. Yeah, yeah. So they're saying. So, you know, even though I find it awkward to tell because I've gotten that important. kind of affirmation yeah. from people, you know, I think, oh, that's, Interesting, you know. Yeah. It's hard to give and hard to receive also. Right, right. And so I think it's great if we can give and just say. But it's like you're saying giving, receiving. Yeah. It's a, an, a, I'm just going to – I should stop footnoting. It's always Ram Dass. If I say something great, it's Ram Dass. <laughs> but he talks about if I give something from my left hand to my right hand. Yeah. There's no giver and no receiver. Yeah. And yet there's a giver and receiver. Yeah. Jesus says that too. It's all about like don't don't worry about other people seeing you do something. Yeah. But just do it. Yeah. Um. So that makes sense, giving it without the attachment to yeah. them doing it. I think I've been giving, just buzzing with the expectation that they'll be saved and, I, and they'll know that I saved them. Yeah, well, that's another thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was, you know. That's another level altogether. Yeah, it was, that was a while ago. I'd like to think I'd, I could give it a go to give it with less attachment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so there was that. And that death. Yeah. <laughs> now we're up to oh, death. that little old topic. Um <laughs> I remember I was I was with a friend of mine. I just happened to be with the Dalai Lama in a very, uh, you know, small gathering of people, and mm. um, with a friend of mine who was extremely terrified about dying. I mean, she was just phobic about it. And he was telling her that every day he does this meditation, this reflection on death, like we're going to die, I'm going to die, you know, everything I own will go. I have to let go of everything. And she looked aghast. <laughs> she looked at him and she said, "Do you think that's going to help you?" When you actually die, and he said, "I hope so." <laughs> you know, like I don't know. I hope so. <laughs> wow. Um, but I think it, I mean, if you talk about fearlessness compared to the totems we acquire to try to persuade ourselves we're not going to die, you know, mm. uh, I mean, the whole society is built on that myth. Right. You know, you have a big enough apartment. You have a. Yep. You know, nice enough car. You have, you know, you're going to feel secure in a way that right. is a complete myth. Right, right. And, you know, so it's kind of fun, you know, and far out to bring yourself to another place, you know, by reminding yourself, like, hey, and it's scary. And, and, and yet, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm old enough now, you know, so that, uh, well, like around us, you know, like, I was 18 when I met him, mm. and he was the elder. He'd been to India before. He'd already been fired from Harvard. He was <laughs> the patriarch. And I look back, and I think, God, he was like 39. <laughs> you know, but he was like an old man in our eyes. You know, yeah. he, was, he had a book that came out, you know, Be Here Now came out. It was like, 
And you think, look at that, you know? Wow. And, of course, every time I go to Maui, I think, well, could be the last time. For it could sure. be the last time. I yeah. think about that all the time. In the shower, yeah. I'll just think, <coughs> I, is, is Ram Dass going to live today? <laughs> Not in a more. I, it yeah. sounds very morbid, but... I, it's just a way of loving him and thinking about him and not because yeah. I'm going to go see him at the end of the summer for a personal retreat. And I often think, or am I? You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, I, I promise it's not just like, he better make it to my thing. But I'm just sort of like, it makes me go, that's not promised. Just like, not, just like nothing is promised. Yeah, nothing is promised. There's that great place in, uh, it's another thing in Be Here Now where uh, I believe he's quoting Buddha. Um, but it's about like, everything's temporary uh, people are temporary and he goes what a funny place to get attached what a strange place to get attached mm-hmm. he talks about matter just being like slowed down light and nothing being real and everything's just this sort of illusion and it's like what a weird place to get attached you're writing your name in your underwear yeah. <laughs> like yeah. what a joke but what kind of a funny joke what kind yeah. of like a beautiful joke and a free joke have you ever had to meditate though when you were worried about your health or anything like oh, that? Oh, sure. I mean... Yeah. Uh, and that's in Faith also, where I had a... Uh, I think that's the epilogue to Faith, um, where I had a... I can't remember what point I wrote that, but I had an ovarian cyst that nobody knew whether it was benign or malignant until they took it out, and it was mm-hmm. benign, thank mm-hmm. God, but this was before. And so I had like... Um, Two or three weeks from the time they found it till the surgery was actually going to happen. Ooh, so, of heavy. course, it's so a very heavy period. You yes. had that shit. Did you have that? I have to imagine you did that, like, all right, Sharon. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've been talking about this a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a weird feeling. It's, it's like getting called into the World Series. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I guess that's a better perspective than just going, like, well, fuck everything. <laughs> At least you have, like, you're facing the dragon. A oh, little yeah. Bit. And then there was this sort of... Um, uh, I don't know, there was like a moment of release or, or kind of return, which was almost like, um, you know, I, I would start thinking, but what if, you know, then it's going to be like this, and the whole rest of my life is going to be back on medical people, you know, yes. and that I'm, nothing else is going to happen. I'm never going to, and I think, this is something I often talk about when I talk about my own fear, that unlike um the world's pronouncement that we're afraid of the unknown. I'm actually afraid when I think I do know and it's going to be really bad. Yeah. yeah. And in the midst of that, even if I remind myself, you know what, you don't know, then I feel relief. I feel yeah. space, you know? And so I like that too. I would just kind of watch that and I'd go, you don't know. Yeah. And then, you know, I would just be able to be with yeah. the moment and it was very different. Right. <laughs> wow. So do you feel right. like that in that period of time – it was like you had you had kind of laid the groundwork to n- to have the tools to oh, yeah. deal definitely. with that. And definitely, yeah. Because especially I'm the girl whose mother was never mentioned after right. she died. You know, so I had a lot of um, maybe still have, but I certainly had a tremendous amount of conditioning. It wasn't yeah. even just an ordinary human reaction. Ah, you know, so I, I felt really the kind of unburdening of a lot of that. Since we were talking about that earlier, I'll just absolutely link it yeah. up to that. You know, it was so, an opportunity to yeah. kind of let go of that stuff. Yeah, the comfort really in not knowing. That reminds me when I was 
reading a book about improvisational theater, and they were like, "This is pe- people's worst nightmare." And I was like, "I love it. Yeah. Like I like yeah. not knowing. It reminds me of that." Yeah. But uh, I also experienced that at the end of the movie Religious. Sometimes people are like, "Oh, you must hate the movie Religious because you're like a spiritual guy." And I was like, "I really like that movie, and I love at the end." Bill Maher is just like, I don't know, and neither do you, because you're just a person like me, and I don't believe anybody knows, really. And I, I remember watching that and being like, I had never heard anyone speak that way. Not, I didn't know any Buddhists. I didn't know any beautiful, mystery-embracing people. So I was just sort of like, this guy's just sort of, that's the sort of thing you want to remember when you're dying, to me. And then um, I remember we, we went and saw Ama. And uh, the hugging saint. And Just she, now in New York? No, we missed her this time. Nobody told us she was here. <laughs> like it's so other it people's responsibility. It me. is. I'm busy. <laughs> they were like, uh, she told this story that I think about all the time where she's like, a doctor brought his dog to work. Have you heard the story? Mm-mm. Doctor brings a dog to work and he goes into a room and the dog's out in the hallway, doors close. He's talking to this woman who has, who's going to die. And she's like, doctor, what do you think happens when I die? And the dog is scratching on the door. And he goes, I think it's a little bit like my dog. My dog has never been to work with me before. He's never been in this room before. But he's scratching and really wants to come in because he knows his master is in here. And I was just like, that, I think and I contemplate the trust of death. We all do the cannonball into the, into the abyss. And so we have to trust. You have to trust. Mm-hmm. It's a non-negotiable. Even though if you never think about it or use the word trust, when you die, there's an element of like, be gentle with me, right? Yeah. So why not practice? I said this to the Ava brothers. I was like, why not practice trusting now? Mm-hmm. So um, Noah, what's Noah's last name? He's in Krishnadas's band, plays the cello. I love Noah very much. We were talking about one of Begins the mantras. with an H. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I'm going to feel right. like a real jerk. Yeah. I, I call him Noah Das, even though it just means servant of Noah. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. But that's how he is in my phone, because we both love Ram Das. <laughs> he says one of the mantras that he likes, and I don't believe he was raised Christian, is thy will be done, which of course is from the Lord's Prayer. And I found a lot of comfort in, in that as well. Just going like, it's predetermined. I can, it's hard to impose it on other people, but you can go like, this is lawful. If I'm dying, this is what's to happen. I'm, I even think about how sad Val will be, and I'll be like, well, I'm Val's karma. Yeah. She has to deal with the loss of me. And I, this sounds, now we might even sound like a couple robots, like people don't even understand what we're saying. But is, is that feeling correct to you or not correct? What does that make you think? Uh, it makes me think, I just... I'm trying to think about how long ago it was. Maybe two weeks ago, I went to visit a friend in hospice. Mm. Um, she's 91 years old. Mm. And um, uh, I was told you know, by her family that she wanted to see me and that I, could, I shouldn't stay very long. You know, So uh, I, I went in to see her, and she looked wonderful. <laughs> she looked really good. Really? Yeah. Wow. And uh, she was totally cogent and... And she said, you know, I just, um, she said, um, she'd been an extraordinarily generous and kind person. And she said, I'm content. I'm just content. And and she said, I lie here and I look out the window and I see the bird feeders. And she said, when I get afraid to die, I think, it's the way it is. It's what's happening. And I said, well, you know, I know it's just a belief, but I do believe in rebirth. 
So when I get afraid to die, I say to myself, we've done this before. Yeah. Because yes. I realize I actually have performance anxiety. You know, I'm going to make a mistake. While I die. I'm going oh. to die wrong. I'm going to die wrong. She died wrong. And I think, you've done it. You've done it over and over again. She yeah. laughed and my friend laughed. And, yeah. yeah. And she said, do you really believe in rebirth? Have you experienced it? And I said, well, I don't know. I've had experiences in meditation. I thought they were that. I have no way of validating that. But I said, I really do believe in it. And she said, you know, I didn't used to, but I kind of do now. You know, and <laughs> yeah. you've had experiences, hints of past lives meditating. Is I've, that what you're saying? I, I've had something, you know, like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm mean, not. Do you mind speaking about what it was? No, no. It was just like, um, it would be like a, a strong visceral sense, say, of being in Europe in World War II, for example. Mm. Wow. You know, and uh, if I go into a bathroom in Switzerland, I feel it. If I went the one time I was in Poland in the forest, I felt it, you know. Wow. Yeah. Mark Duplass sat right where you're sitting and, and oh, he yeah? told me a story about a soccer team going to Switzerland or something like that and standing on a hill and a guy just going like, I, I lived here. Yeah, yeah. Like, I know I yeah. lived here. It's so interesting, though, that the intellect doesn't know what to do with these stories. Yeah, yeah. And I even feel it with me because you remind me. It's the game is remembering and forgetting constantly. Yes, yeah. So I'm telling you that Mark sat there and told me that, and I was like, man, that's what it is. Yeah. We've done this before. Yeah. I love Ramdas goes, we've done this before. Don't you remember? Yeah. Don't yeah. you remember? Yeah. And that's such a trippy thing to say to a group of people. Yeah. Yeah. Don't you remember? And we're all like, ah! <laughs> like it, it feels I? like a dream. <laughs> yeah. And it is a dream. Yeah. And uh, we hear all those stories, Indian stories of like someone coming back, a young girl being born and finding her family, going and finding her children. Mm -hmm. And they're like, I died and I came back to find my children. Mm -hmm. So reincarnation to you is not... A metaphor. It's a. It's a possibility. It is. I, I, it's a probability. I mean, if, if it's more than a possibility, I just mm. think. It, tell me more. Well, I mean, both because of those kinds of experiences, or hearing about those experiences, or maybe living in India for so long, where it's just like in the fabric of yeah the belief, and and some of my own teachers, not all of them, but certainly one, this woman like Deepama, they say she had the power to. I mean, in, in Buddhist teaching. Um, there's almost a clear demarcation between paths that lead to power, what we would call psychic powers, and paths that lead to love and wisdom, you know? So, mm. um, and clearly the paths that lead to power are kind of secondary at best, you know, like yeah. sort of not the point, but some people do that as right. well. And so really when we talk about her or we remember her, it's like, wow, she was so loving. She was amazing. You know, she just like, I was in such a bad place, and she was so kind. You know, that's really what we right. remember. But if you read about her, you also read these stories. You know right. that, uh, like, I never witnessed her doing any of those kind of concrete miracle things, like walking through a wall, which they say she could do. Mm. And I have friends who are like livid at the suggestion. You know, because, and I say to them, "Well, do you believe those new Curly Baba stories about you know this guy showed up and?" Uh, Maharaji said to him, you have to um, get in touch with your family. You know, they need yeah, you. Yeah, your mother then, wants to hear from you. Yeah, you know, yeah. And that, which in those days meant, you know, those are no cell phones, no computers, right. nothing. Right. You had to go to a I thought big about that city. You have to yesterday. Get, you know, you do can't even trunk be sure call. the guy has a mother. That's right. You know what I mean? And it's hard to go like, oh, I meant on the astral plane or whatever. You yeah, know? yeah, you yeah, have to yeah be exactly. Like, you said you know? your mother wants to hear from me. and No, I have dead. a friend who had exactly that experience where like, he showed up and Maharaji kept him and his then wife there for 
of the weekend. Then he said, you have to, you have to call home. Your mother needs you. Your family needs you. Mm. So that meant they had to go to New Delhi. They had to book into an international hotel. They had to book a trunk <laughs> call for 24 hours later. They had to go to that like special room and scream into the phone. Mm. Oh. You know, so he gets on the phone, and the first thing his mother says is, thank God the State Department found you. Wow. Oh, my God. You know, so I say to my angry friends, I say, well, do you believe that? And they said, absolutely. So why do you believe that? And you don't believe these other things. And they said, oh, because that's the mind. That's not the material world. But they say, you know. Since you mean the mind wants to believe a woman walks through a wall? Is that what no, you mean? That, that they believe the mind can do these things. It can stretch oh, beyond I see. what we know. I understand. But the thought that physicality is not exactly what it appears. Right. Ah. And I say, that makes no sense to me, you know, because it's like they say matter is earth, air, water, fire, and space. And that's what they do. They focus on space and they see the space between the molecules and they walk them. I don't know, you right. know. Yeah. But isn't, I've heard Krishnadas explaining to me, I asked him, I thought it was a very clever question. I was like, if Maharaji was already in Detroit, he was already in the state of LSD-ishness, how would he know what LSD does? If you're already there and you take something that takes you there, how would you know? And he goes, because he knows everything. And I was like, and then he explained to me, and this is very difficult, I struggled. I've sort of laid it down. It's not really something I think yeah. about very much anymore. But miracles, Val and I both growing up evangelical, it's a sensitive topic for us because we don't want to, I don't know, it feels like proof, this weird like proving thing. Uh, I'm losing my train of thought. Um, telling Krishnadas the... Oh, he, he, thank you. He explained that Maharaji saw thoughts as matter. He like, he, he could tune into the space of thoughts as a thing and, and he could go through them and know everything and be one with everything in the same way that a wall and a person, yeah. thoughts and a person could have that relationship yeah. as well. So I'm with you that they're yeah. similar phenomena. Yeah. So, then my, you know, people say like my teacher, Deepama, at some point in her life, um, she uh, was more robust and in better health. You know, she could use those powers and she could see past lives, for example. Mm. So I think I have no reason to distrust that, you know, yeah. and she was – and and it's also not important, you know. It's not like you've got a prize for it or you got money for it or anything, right, you know. It was right. like it, it was never proclaimed. Like, yeah, it was just this kind of quiet truth that was so secondary, if that, you know, right, like right. compared to her loving heart and her generosity and so on. So it's sort of like, well, you know, that also goes in the well. Could well be true, Colm, you know, because. Yeah. Somebody like that says she's experienced it. And I think, okay, you know. Mm. Right. Well, I would just like to say that Leela has been moving since we were talking about rebirth. And she probably remembers. Yeah. <laughs> so when is Leela coming to us? September 19th. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Is that still Virgo? Is that a Virgo? Yeah, yeah. Virgo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or if she's a little late, it'll be a Libra. But uh-huh. <laughs> Will so, you be back in L.A. then? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Excited. Yeah, yeah, we're excited. so excited. So anyway, she's confirming that. I but but doesn't that imply? Or why am I making it antagonistic? Does that imply <laughs> a soul? What is being reborn? Well, apparently not, since <laughs> Buddhism would say right. It, Buddhism, no soul, no soul. What's going on? What is consciousness then? What is the the, the way they frame? Well, it? I mean, it depends on the school of Buddhism too. It's a little complicated that way, but. The Burmese would say, no, there's no thing being reborn, but it's like, just like every cell in our body has changed since we were seven years old. Mm -hmm. And our mind has changed 
constantly, every moment dying and being reborn. The mm. same thing happens at the end of this life, except you drop a physical form, and the next moment you have a new physical form. Mm. And you kind of carry There's on. There's no waiting thing. period? There's no... I thought it was Not, like 40 days the, or something? Uh, 49 days. That's Tibetan. 40. They oh, okay. argue about that. Ah, I love that we're arguing about Dancing with the Stars and they're arguing. <laughs> 49 days and then you come back. I'd, I'd rather be having that conversation. Because I remember meeting a concert pianist who was 13 and I watched him play and I just That's cried. Right. Yeah, yeah. And he was, he was so smart on the Mensa scale and all that stuff. I was like, you should figure out who died 49 days before you. And see yeah, if there's any like yeah, yeah. great pianist or something. Yeah. And he was so smart he could do it. He was like, Well, I was born here in the forty nine days before and I was like, ah! he was really, really cool. So so which school are you in? Well and, and also who cares? But it's fun to talk about. It is fun to talk about. <laughs> um I'm sort of in both, except my teaching roots are really in the Burmese. You know, that that was where I started. That's the um approach and teaching that I take. I have Tibetan teachers, and I've always been surrounded by that kind of cosmology as well. Mm. But I don't, you know. But it's not what what Ramdas has given to me is the idea that we're if you picture ten ten million Lego pieces laying on the floor of a preschool, and then there's like a cloud, a giant cloud, and it's one cloud, and it goes under the Lego pieces and it and it animates them, and some are trees, and some are rocks, and some are people, and some are Donald Trump. And it's this one consciousness playing with the Legos. And our piece of that consciousness is, is the Atman or the soul. And, but it's really we're just sharing the cloud. It's the cloud forgetting that it's one thing and playing Legos, which is, and which is what Leela means, play. We're just playing. And where, where, what is the comparison or the story that you guys, you guys, you know what I mean? Like where is the difference or how do we frame it differently? Um, sometimes they talk about the different, and this is pretty esoteric, but the difference between oneness and emptiness. Mm. Love it. You know, so it's not exactly like that, although you could say it like that. You know, it's not like, if you really think deeply about what that implies, then yes. That's what Nick Turn says. <laughs> he goes, follow it through. Yeah. He goes, if that, then what? He yeah. goes, keep going. Yeah. yeah. He, he, he's always giving me those little nuggets where he's like, okay, keep going. Because he doesn't believe all one. Yeah. And yeah. who was it that you were telling me? The woman that would go, it's all zero? Oh, uh, um, Byron Katie. <laughs> Byron Katie would go, it's all shift. zero. She was, before she like became socialized again, after her shift, she she would come up to people and be like, it's all zero, it's all zero. But then she sometimes would say it's all one. So isn't it kind of an idea of like, it's all one and then like, the next click? Or yeah, the help, next help me. Help. I'm going to use you to cheat. Nick Turn wants me to do the work. I'm going to have you gotta you do, do the work. You got to do the work. One day meditation. But you put it in my intellect for the millionth time. I'm sure someone's already explained this to me, but I want I forgot. I want to hear it again. Well, I'm rather into it as a comparison. You know, it's, it's sort of like a maybe a Buddhist vision would be around interconnection or there's this beautiful um image in the Lotus Sutra, I think it is of Indra's net where there's like a net an infinite net, and in each place where the netting is meeting, there's a crystal. Right. And so each crystal is reflecting every other crystal. Right. And this is like an image of the multiverse. Yeah. Infinite yeah, possibilities. Yeah. Exactly. That's right. But and it's an ancient one, which is so fun. Yeah. <laughs> They're thinking about this yeah, yeah, in yeah. antiquity, and we're catching up to them. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and many things. What Many, fun. many things. What fun. Wow. You know, so it's kind of like that. There's no substance. Uh-huh. 
but there's everything. There's mm. like a very complex illusion then? Uh, there's a very complex manifestation. And you could say illusion, um, mm. but not in a dismissive way. Like, oh, that's just an illusion, you know. I see. Um, just a, uh, it's like when they talk about life, they say life is like. They don't say it is. It's like a rainbow, an echo, a dream, a drop of dew on a blade of grass, a flash of lightning in a summer sky. Mm. It's there. It all happens. And yet, where is it? Mm. Huh. You know, uh, there's no substance anywhere. There's nothing you can hold on to successfully. And that's why I was starting to say, you know, getting older, it's like, mm. it's the weirdest thing. You know, it's like, I'm used to being 18. I'm used to being the youngest person in the room. I'm used to, you know, like, it's not so. And, you know, my friends are talking about retiring. I think retiring, you know, mm. like, I feel like I haven't gotten started yet, you know, like, mm. and they asked me, I was just at, the center I co-founded the Insight Meditation Society, they said to me, because all these people, you know, older than I, but not, you know, 100 years older than I, were, yeah. were yeah. saying, oh, I'm going to step down, I'm going to do this. I'm do... And then they looked at me, they said, what about you? And I said, I have one of those weird disorders. I don't recognize my age, you know, yeah. like, yeah. I don't internally feel like I'm retirement age, you know, but I am kind of. Right. You know, so where is it, like, life, a life, you know, it goes by, like, a drop of dew and a blade of grass, right. you know? That's what Deepak Chopra did this show, and he made that great point that I think is very comedic. He's like, when people talk about me, they're like, which which you? Yeah. Baby you? Yeah. Is that who you mean? Yeah. Baby is very different from you, and old you, teenage you, like all these different yous, like constantly changing, and yet we cling. But there's also, because I relate to you, I love asking old people if they feel older. Yeah. yeah. And they always say No. No. They say their body feels older. And even if their yeah. mind isn't working yeah. as well, there's still a thing. Is there the idea of the witness behind the mind in Buddhism? Yes. Uh, witnessing. I wouldn't say a witness. Not a again, witness. that's too it's substantial. Yeah. yeah. That's so fun. There's a, there's a process of witnessing. Yeah. And so you you identify sort of with the witness thing? Yeah. See, I guess what I like about the Hindu way, and I'm catching myself I'm going to say being attached to it is it is a little bit more like action figures that I can play with. I go like, here's the witness you go. It's witnessing. And I go, get out of you. Like you're in the, <laughs> in the grass with a wooden sword moving in a way that I can't move. And I'm inside with my action figures and I like them. <laughs> That's good. I, it's I, a great fun path. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is great fun. And I, I certainly don't feel you judging it. How do we, isn't the Buddhist idea that even the oneness, it doesn't last. Yes. That nothing lasts. Yes. That there isn't an eternal thing. That's correct. Thinging itself. Even that goes into the void. Well, again, which Buddhism, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Tibetan Buddhism or some schools, even in like Thailand, it's more like... Um, but it's hard. It's impossible, you know, because that's a place where words don't go anymore. Right. And so they always... Like we always joke, like in terms of any school of Buddhism, those are the unwords, like unborn, undying, unconstructed. Mm -hmm. You know, like what does that mean? You know, like, and they always say words can't go there. So mm. I love it. You know, I don't know what to say. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. great. I think I think that's correct. For kind of going back to reincarnation, then is it because you know? I believe Hinduism would say like the soul is the thing that carries over and you kind of touched on this already, but it's like, what 
is then remembering World War II? Is it the se- yourselves? And why like, is it in you and not in me? Why aren't I? I now it sounds like crossfire. <laughs> I'm just saying, why aren't I remembering your past lives? Why the separation? Well, because it's not. Um, there's individual karma. It's like you're not bearing the burden of my karma, and I'm not bearing the burden of yours. And Yes. So there's connectedness, but individual. But why, yeah. why do the game of, again, me with my action figures, the game of karma. Okay, so my soul wants to awaken to oneness. This is very easy to understand. I'm, it's the cloud in the Legos, and I've forgotten, and that's the game. We're playing hide-and-seek, as Alan Watts said. We're playing hide-and-seek, and my game, my karma, is to have all these experiences, to worry that I'm going to die as I'm meditating, to get uh, splashed by a, a thing, to worry about my friend's cousin. All these things are my karma and my experience. Everything is an opportunity. What is this moment? Tell me about the reality of the divine or the infinite. And as I play this game, maybe this is Western, at some point I go, ah, and that's enlightenment. And I realize everything I've been saying is true and my heart catches up to my brain and then I go back into the oneness. The idea of Buddha leaving samsara, the wheel of life and death, the births and lives and deaths. Um, with with you guys, with you guys, <laughs> why even play the We're game? We're close cousins. You know I know, no, like, right? it's, it's, it's all, obviously, you know, it's all love. And I, I, I'm, I agree with you, impossibly, even though I agree with me as well. Um <laughs> It's an interesting thing. Why load up the system with karma? In in my simple way that I just explained, is it's the oneness going, hey, I'm one. Hey, I'm amazing. It's almost like Maui in Moana. It's like, wow, look at me. What can I do? And now I want to see the movie again. Yeah. yeah. So, three. so we've seen it 13 times. And this is yeah. before our daughter is born. Not really, but maybe five times. <laughs> I've, I've only seen it through twice. Um, but I've seen parts. Listen, I understand that the oneness, my, even my narcissism as a performer understands the narcissism and the masturbation, the cosmic masturbation of like, what am I about? I'm going to split. I'm going to forget. As Alan Watts says, the more we forget that we're God, the greater the theater, the greater the illusion, the more beautiful the experience. But then there's this end, a very concrete Western goal. At one point, I'll step out, I'll unplug, and I'll go, that's enough of that. If I'm understanding correctly, you guys are unplugging, or let's say us guys, in this perspective, are unplugging, and then eventually we're going down the toilet. (laughs) Even that unplug unplugged off the wheel Buddha goes down into the into nothingness. Is that correct? Or are uh, we in that place? That's probably a little nihilistic. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, we're probably in that place where we're, we're in the place. Like, nothingness is also not exactly right. Um, uh because the other side of emptiness is interconnection. Mm. So it's sort of like you can look at a tree and you see just a single entity that's the tree. Or you can also look at the tree and see it as a pattern of relationships. Mm. You know, like what about the soil, which is nourishing the tree and everything that affects the quality of the soil, like the rainfall, and everything that affects the quality of the rainfall. So suddenly you're looking at the tree and it's not just there but it's part of this bigger fabric of connection and influence and relationship. And they're both true, you know? So to say 
you're seeing that deeper level of connection doesn't mean you don't see a tree because it's a tree. Right. And on the other hand, if you only see the tree, that's like ordinary perception. Right. And it's pretty limiting because if you're trying to save that tree, for example, you might have to think about what's affecting the rainfall. Yeah. You know, you might have to look deeper into causes and conditions. And uh, the whole thing is like a, like, why is there karma? Um, I think it's, it's, they're starting out with a supposition that there's nothing substantial, there's nothing that's permanent, uh, there's, and yet there's everything. Mm. It's like a rainbow, like an echo, like a dream, right? Mm. So how can it all be happening without a being in control, without a creator who's designed it, you know, and making it tick along? Um, and so karma is one of the explanations that, oh, well, things are connecting, like this moment to the next, one of the ways they're connected is through the law of karma. You know, it's like if we are really dying and being reborn in every moment um, with nothing carrying through, but the, they say it's like a stamp, you know, that goes on a page and, you know, you're stamping an impression um, or a mango tree that, drops a, a mango that becomes the seed for the next tree, right? Mm -hmm. So what's the patterning that's making sure that mango tree is not giving birth to an apple, you know, mm -hmm. tree? It's like part of that's the law of karma. You know, there's a kind of moral. It's like the clues of our own patternedness yeah. are everywhere. Yeah, yeah. You see patternedness. That's right. That's why I really enjoy science. That to me seems like people... Uh, collecting and yeah. writing down all these patterns. Mm -hmm. the, the language of math is insane. Like, and, and I can only imagine the ecstasy of the genius mathematician that gets closer and closer to like a, yeah. a unified theory yeah. and goes like, is feeling an ecstasy that he couldn't even begin to explain to me. Mm -hmm. um, which leads me, have you ever experienced anything like the void or nothingness in your... Uh, Yes, but we don't call it the void or nothingness. You oh, know? yeah, help me. Emptiness? Yeah, yeah I mean, emptiness, or, certainly, you could say, because that's... I guess I'm just being... You mean like a transcendent state, yeah. I think, yeah. I remember Jack Kornfield uh, told me about leaving his body. These things are interesting. And speaking of miracles, I forget who said it. I give them what they want, so they'll want what I give. You were speaking about the woman whose loving kindness was really where it's at. And also she's walking through yeah, walls. Yeah, tipama, yeah. But maybe people got on buses to see her because she's walking through walls. And then you realize that the real miracle is unconditional love. Well, it's more like Maharaja, you know, because yeah. with somebody, I mean, oddly enough, a lot of the Buddhist, um, certainly uh, in the southern schools of Buddhism, like Burma and Thailand, and, and even to you know, some extent Tibet, um, a lot of what was designed as rules for the monks and nuns was were based around the fact that um, they were going out on alms run. They're going out to beg their meal every day. And so uh, the Buddha didn't want them to like only go to rich people's houses or places with good cooks. You know, mm -hmm. He wanted everyone to have the opportunity to feed them because that was very good karma for the people making the offering. And he wanted them to just take what was offered because that was – that was the discipline for them. So there were things like you, you should never talk about your attainment. 
That was part your because if you talked about your attainment, that was like that would make the wealthy people think, oh, I want to feed that monk. I don't want to feed that monk. That's a schlump, you know? Like, mm. that schlumpy monk over there can't do anything. meaning how far you've come? Yeah, how far you've come. Oh, or this something is a celebrity you've seen. monk. Yeah. I want to send Ram Dass Ganji's water. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. so uh, it's that old, you know, the prohibition. And it's from there. Like, you know, you're, you're, you have brothers and sisters in your community, and everyone should be treated equally. And so... You don't want to. You don't want to do astrological forecasts for people, mm. you know, because then they're, they're going to treat you better. You don't want to boast about the fact you can walk through walls, because then right. they'll definitely give you better food right. than they gave that other monk that's lazy, you know, or like, <laughs> right. or whatever, you know. And so, it's as old as that that you don't talk about yeah. what you've experienced, and you certainly wouldn't say, like, as a deepama, you know, as my teacher, uh, you would do it very quietly. You wouldn't do it publicly. You wouldn't do it as something that a lot of people knew about because, right. you know. But in the case of New Karoli Baba, you know, like where I think in Hinduism, like the two paths are not so bifurcated, you know, they're kind of concentration and, and wisdom and love, they're kind of more together, you know. Mm. And so, um, you know, it was part of his skill in blowing people's minds, you yeah. know, then they would get on the bus for that. And I still find that, I, I'm, I don't know how you are, Val, but I'm still one of those, people that I have miracle of love, which is the book of all the miracles of Maharaji. And I, it's not my favorite one to read because mm. every one I'm just sort of like, well, something you, you kind of could have guessed that, yeah. you know what I mean? I just, I haven't, I guess I don't even know if I want to turn off that Nick Dern might say it's discernment. I guess it might be yeah. a helpful tool to not believe everything, which leads me to my next question, which is, have you ever had your heart broken by, I'll, I'll tell you my 30-second story is I love talking to monks. So when I see monks in my neighborhood, they might be monks, Buddhist monks. They might be Jehovah's Witness. It doesn't matter. I love I, – Jews for Jesus, give me – that's why I love Mormons. Anybody that's giving up something for, to answer a call, mm-hmm. hopefully a spiritual call, is, is exciting to me, even if they don't even know what they're doing. <laughs> but I'm talking to a Buddhist monk. And uh, it, right on our street. Uh-huh. And I re- five minutes later, he tells me he's Jesus. I, I remember how he told me. He goes like, well, I'm, I'm the resurrection. And I go, what do you mean? Who? And he goes, well, who's the one who said he'd come back? And I go, Christ. And he goes, well, I'm Christ. And I go, well, I'm Christ. He goes, no, I'm Christ. <laughs> you know, it's like I, I, I really am his body, like I'm back. I, for a moment, considered asking him to heal my hand. I have a weird thing on my hand. Didn't. And then glad I didn't because the next thing he said was, because he was white, he started talking about the specialness of white people and he started citing passages in the Old Testament that seemed to obviously not allude to the specialness of white people as a clan and as a chosen tribe. So he's a racist. <laughs> so I'm talking to a racist. <laughs> I, I was Most of the time if I talk to a monk, I leave full. I go like, I'm so glad. Just looking at this person's eyes, he was so calm and beautiful. It wasn't about agreeing or disagreeing. I just love it. This guy, I was like, oh, no. I, it broke my heart. It disturbed me that this guy, he touched my arm and was like, this, this, meaning my whiteness. He was like, this is And I was like, oh, fuck. And then he started going on about <laughs> delusions that the temple had been bugged by the FBI. And he's like, I can't normally talk this way. I was like, oh, this this person might be a little schizophrenic or something, or whatever word you want to use. Um, have you? And I know Ramdas had that thing, egg on my beard, 
I love that story of the woman that sort oh, Joya, of yeah. what's what was her name again? Joya. Joya. That he studied with, and at the end he sort of realized like not not whoops, but this isn't for me. And I'm wondering, not just for the sake of, of talking smack, but it's helpful to me. Have you had your heart hurt by your openness? Um yes and no. I mean I've certainly gone through teachers, which is an unusual thing, not unusual for us, you know, but if I'd been born in Village Asia, you know, there would have been like the local monastery and and there was like a sign, you know, from right. birth and it, it wouldn't be that normal to this say This is well, our neighborhood guru. Yeah, exactly. That's you know, your father's guru, he's your yeah, guru. Yeah. yeah. Um so I've certainly, you know, come to a place where I felt like a teacher uh wasn't serving me anymore or I just moved on or um not even conscious not even like with determination sometimes. Sometimes I just met someone else. Right. Mm. You know, and then it was like, whoa, you know. The next teaching just showed up. Yeah. yeah. You know, who are you? So, you know, I feel like I've done that. I've uh you know, I I had a, a very um someone once asked me talking about Deepama, who's the person who told me to teach, so she was some ways my most important teacher and uh someone was interviewing me for some magazine once and they asked me very diffidently like do you think you might have used her to like reparent yourself mm. and i said i use them all to reparent myself you know like every one of them of was important for me that way and yeah. so they were very powerful i've been very powerful relationships and you know really taught me about love and um and so it was never easy to move on, you know, because yeah, because yeah. of all that. But I, I mean, I've certainly done that. There was never like a moment where they went like, and of course, lesbians are the devil or something like that. And you're just like, Ugh. Uh. I realize as I'm saying this, by the way, maybe it's a, another thing to giggle at that I have so many deal breakers that if I met a Maharaji, what if Maharaji, you know, there were rumors, uh, there was the the boob miracle, or so he grabbed some woman's breast and it was taken out of Miracle of Love. I don't know, even know if I'm getting it right. <laughs> but, but boobs were involved. And people were sort of like, not in a not in a assault way, but people were like, they're not going to understand this one in the West, so it's not in the later editions. Um, and I realized that I have so many preferences. I, I I'm attached to even how imaginary, not imaginary, but disembodied gurus ought to be. And that is an interesting place. You know what I'm saying? Like, if we were in a different time, I'd have a different set of preferences. Yeah. That's why my favorite Bill Burbitt is, he talks about the Duck Dynasty guy hating gay people. And he's like, don't you see, he's just repeating what people told him to be good. He thought he was being a good boy. Mm-hmm. What do you think about gay people? That's Well, that's not right. He thinks he'll get love from saying that because that's all we're doing. And if I had been born earlier, I would be telling you that if my guru was pro-gay, that would be a deal breaker. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of a cosmic giggle even behind me wanting them to agree with me intellectually. And I guess maybe that leads to the importance of a heart space because we keep talking about being beyond reason. I love talking with you. Would you say that sitting quietly has so much more to tell us than even these 
nice darshans? No, I think we we should do everything. <laughs> Let's do everything. Let's take everything. Let's do we everything. Can. I need your LA address. <laughs> yeah. I, have a, I have a great presence in you. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. good. Oh, please. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Is it an avocado tree? <laughs> what a good idea! You probably don't need one from the East Coast. You know? Some shriveled, you know, I've been avocado your, tree. I've been to your Whole Foods. It's not looking good. Not, not looking, looking good. good. Uh, but no, obviously, um, Darshan, good talking is good. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think I learned early on, and I'm sure with some amount of pain, that, um, well, I mean, Goenka was my first teacher. And the first night of that first retreat, he said, the Buddha did not teach Buddhism, the Buddha taught a way of life. Yeah. And he said, this is in no way about becoming a Buddhist. And uh, he said it was like, um, the English was not so great in those days, but he said it was something like uh, when they make rice pudding in India, and they have whole cardamom pods in it. So you see like this little hard, dark thing in the middle of your nice yeah. milky rice pudding. Mm-hmm. And he said, spit it out. If you find something like that in the teachings, spit it out. So I used his mm. directive mm. as my guide. And there were th- things that I, I just realized um, this is not right for me. Mm-hmm. Right. At some point, you know, but that directive has never changed in my mind, you know, that that's the right thing to do. Mm. Mm. Um, and uh, I I guess I, I have gotten used to also getting sometimes very good teachings from very imperfect vehicles. Mm. Mm. I'm a very imperfect vehicle, you know, like yeah. <laughs> um, I also remember I, I was very close to this Tibetan teacher, Nyosha Ken Rinpochean. Um. And then he was sick and dying, and I was sitting with uh, this much younger Tibetan teacher, Sokhani Rinpoche, when he actually died. And, wow. you know, and so I was together with this group of friends mm-hmm. and sitting with Sokhani Rinpoche in Connecticut, I think it was, and, uh, and Yosha Kim Rinpoche was in France, and he died. And um, so Sokhani Rinpoche said something like, um, he got up there in the first night, and he said, I feel really sorry for people like you. Because you don't get to sit with a great master, you know, and you don't get to sit with this being who had this incredible skill. And and he, and he went on and on and he said, all you've got is me. But he said, but I'm who you've got, so I'm going to do the best I can. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, and I, I kind of feel the same about myself. That's so funny. You know, like. Ramdas seems to say the same thing. Too. Yeah. He's yeah. always just like, I'm just reflecting the yeah, light yeah. of Maharaj. Yeah. Which yeah. is really interesting. Because if Ramdas knew how I felt about him, he'd be like, oh, wow, that, I think it might be comparable. I, I'm I not sure. Is, you know? I'm not sure. And that's good. I don't think that's wrong, you know? Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. Who gives a fuck? Yeah, it's fuck? for <laughs> you anyway, you know? It's what the internal experience does for you. And Right. Well, that was a know? trippy one was like when I imagine Maharaji giggling, going, at, he thinks it's the fruit. Raghu was like, Ramdas would say that is Maharaji. And I go, yeah. but I'm actively doing it. Like I'm making a choice to imagine him giggling, and then that becomes something that starts to happen involuntarily. But it started because I practiced doing it. And he was like, he said, when Ramdas hangs out with Maharaji, he says, I imagine him. And that's that's a very trippy thing, too. Because yeah. we want to go, well, there's involuntary visions and things, and then Ramdas is more liberal with it. He's like, you can just visualize it, and it's happening in a way, in the way, I guess, that we don't really know what thoughts are i suppose or visualizations are in a concrete way i don't know if that makes any sense 
Um, I'm not totally sure, but maybe. Yeah. Uh, you know, but if you if you um, imagine Maharaji, you know, uh, the way you respond to that imagination could be anything. Yeah. So that's the place in which it's like being given unto you, you know, or it's yeah. appearing because of all the work you do and, right. you know, and, and all those conditions are coming together mm-hmm. for it to be a certain way. Cause yeah, that's right. Just like in the flesh, you know, they all tell stories about, you know, like my cousin was like, you know, desperately needing Maharaji and I got them a ticket to India and I, you know, put them right in front of him and they thought, that's an old man in a blanket. Yeah. What is this? You know, not right. everybody had the same response to right. him. Right, right. I remember something I, I heard Ram Dass say recently on a recording from the 60s, <laughs> but I heard it recently, was he was like, sometimes you take psychedelics and you'll look at your lover's face or something and it's moving. And he's like, that's because we see what we want to see. And he's like, that's you noticing that the material world is actually, is actually more like that, is your brain is mm-hmm. sort of making sense and filtering it all through your desires. So when you look at me... He's like, you're seeing me in a way that other people aren't seeing me necessarily. So that sort of stuff filters into your experience of the world. And that's one of the fun things about mushrooms is you go like, what I thought was concrete is really a swirling bowl of fruity mm-hmm. pebbles. And I'm building it. <laughs> I'm building it into something, which is fucking trippy. It's making me trip out right now. I love it. really cool. Is, is your tradition a guru tradition? No. I mean, the um, word is kalyanamita for teacher, and it means spiritual friend. So it's a whole other vibe, you know, than uh, the Tibetan tradition is much more guru tradition. And the yeah, with all the attendant, you know, joys and sorrows of that. Yeah. yeah. And it, yours is not. What, what are the sorrows of the guru tradition? Of the guru tradition? Well, I mean, you know, finding the imperfections in the guru that you were right. part of, big part of your practice is that devotion to that. And then, mm-hmm. Well, this that's why I was talking about your heart getting broken. We yeah. are in a world where it's very, very easy to take advantage of people. Yeah. Because you can say things like, if I don't make sense, that's the teaching. Yeah, yeah. Or if you feel imprisoned, that's the teaching. Yeah. Or if I have sex with you, that's the teaching. That's right. And people sort of get really, the whole thing gets a bad name and stuff. Um, so I, I see that as a hang-up. I, I, catch, I don't know if I have a guru or who my guru is, and I sometimes catch myself suffering because of that, because I see how much joy Ramdas has for his, and then I catch myself going like, "Well, my Maharaji is my guru, and we have pictures of Maharaji in our house and stuff, and I have a relationship with him, but I don't know." And whenever I hear Ramdas writing about it, he's like, "With a guru, there's no uncertainty. That's that's part of it, and it's also not just a teacher." So Nick Turn was like, "Well, Ramdas is your guru," and I was like, "Well, according to Ramdas, he's not my guru because the way he writes about it." is he says a, a guru is someone whose goose, whose goose is fully cooked, who isn't showing you the way but is the way. And I'm not sure. And he also says you won't have any uncertainty about it. That's really the one that kicks my butt. Well, he's a little bit absolute maybe in his description. You think so? Of, it might be okay to have a little... I think it's okay to have some uncertainty. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. I'd love for Ramdas to be my guru. I think Ramdas is your guru. I you think, do? Yeah, yeah, I do. Get out. Why That's do you say that? That's what Nick Turn said, That's too. what he said. She was there. Just we were like eating. That. He's like, yeah. <laughs> I think but I don't is. understand. I guess my, my rational brain goes like, that doesn't make sense because he says, no doubt, fully cooked, all that. I, I have the passage on my phone. I can read it to you. <laughs> but Maybe he doesn't need to 
believe that he's your guru for him to be. Well, that's your an, guru that's the you. next thing. Is I would be afraid. Like I said, I'm going to have a private retreat with him. I'd be afraid to say, "Are you my guru?" <laughs> because I think I don't know. It, it's sort of a meet your hero situation. Yeah. What, if, what if he's like, "Don't be stupid." How long is the retreat? <laughs> it's six days, but you only see him every other day. Uh-huh. I'm very. I, I'm reverently nervous. I'm going to run to the bathroom. She's pregnant. <laughs> We're also. We've gone so long. Are you okay on time? Yeah, I'm okay. Okay. But at some point, I suppose we have to stop. Yeah, no, we do have to stop, and I'm not going to take advantage of your calm demeanor. Um, let me see what I had on this paper, because I kept writing things down. So when is your retreat? Yeah, you're right. Let's just talk. How long? <laughs> when is it? I, I said, yeah, you're right. We should just talk. I, we'll get to this. <laughs> it's all the same stuff. Um, it's right at the end of filming. We wrap, and then we fly to New York, and then the next day I fly uh, to L.A., and then I fly to Maui the next day. Oh, wow. Which is really... And then the baby comes like a month later. Yeah, it's sort of a, a risky thing. Yeah, in that the baby could come early, um, but I'm just—it's one of the reasons I love Val. I was like, I, I'll just tell you what I said. I was like, I think Ramdas is my guru, <laughs> and he's alive, and yeah. I'm not going to see him. And I was yeah. like, I think I'll regret this the rest of my life. So I just booked it instead of going like, well, there could be this and this and this. And it just became a thing that was a non-negotiable on the calendar. So we told production about it, and it looks like it's going to happen. Yeah, I I am sort of like, I don't know what to expect. <laughs> it's going to be weird in a good way. Yeah, no, he's great, and he's he's he always was a really good psychologist. You know, yeah. like I mean, he can figure a person out. You know, that's what I've been know. told. Yeah, Noah, whose last name we don't know, is like yeah. whatever your thing. Noah, something. Noah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever your thing is, he'll find it. Yeah. And I've been trying to be really honest with myself about what my things might be. And I'm even going to dissociate from them and say what my ego's things are. And it's one of them is I catch myself feeling like I'm better than people. And I remember I said that to Krishna Das and uh, Nina was there. And I said it and I immediately regretted saying it because it's such an ugly thing to say. But a, maybe a cuter way to say it is like I'm sort of attached to my specialness. And that's one of the reasons why I really relate to Ramdas. He even talks about his fame as Ramdas and being attached to that. And when all the devotees came and he hated having to share his special thing that he found with all these damn hippies and <laughs> being really mad at them. Yeah. So I really I love those stories. You want to talk about imperfect teachers. Yeah. Anytime Ramdas tells a story about never shedding a neuroses or losing his temper because he got to the venue and they had the wrong type of mic stand. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's like me. Yeah. But now I'll think about you and be like, I didn't spend half the day. That's right. No, that's true. <laughs> it's very true. You just had a flare up. I mean, he's very, he's maybe especially impressive to me because he took what was, you know, a dramatically terrible situation, the stroke. Yeah. And the consequences of the stroke. I mean, he, I mean, you've heard him speak before the stroke, right? Yeah. Like. Well, not in person. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, it was like... It's very different. It's like it's listening very to a different. Woody Allen record in in the good way. Yeah. In the like, bad Woody Allen. <laughs> <laughs> in, in that he had that timing and that... It was amazing. It he, was just like... I told him you're my favorite comedian. You know, it was like really a golden tongue. And, you know, that yeah. eloquence was just... mind. It was like a superpower. That was a superpower. Yeah. And it was gone. Yeah. You know? And to see how he's related to all that and... You know, 
would I if I if I were sort of like him and would I get back up on the stage? You know, for yeah. one thing, you yeah. know, like and the generosity of that, and you know, because it's really I don't think it at all for him. You know, in that sense, right? Of like, right. He couldn't know. get the fix as a public speaker. I know, and even someone who's given some spiritual talks, when you get that charge it's beautiful yeah i'm not saying it's bad but you get a little rush from it yeah. you get a high if if you get a group of people and yourself merged and you elevate to one special frequency with your words you feel you must feel like joe dimaggio you know what i mean you're just hitting home runs yeah. and then that was taken from him and you're absolutely you're helping me consider what it must be like everybody that chokes chokes alone in the bathroom because it's embarrassing to choke in a restaurant, so they get up and they go in the bathroom. That's why we're always like, if you're choking, don't be embarrassed. Just claim it and get the Heimlich and make a joke about it and live. Everybody goes to the bathroom. So Ramdas must have been tempted in wheelchair and half of his body paralyzed to go in the bathroom. Mm. And we all would have understood if he went to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Right? But instead he shared it and it became a thing. And he said that he feels even more dipped in and connected and Lama Suryadas said to me, I was like, how's Ramdas? He's like, you know, every day he's just more and more with Maharaj. <laughs> he's just like, meaning he's leaving, but he's still here, but he's sort of blending more and more, blurring more and more mm -hmm. into the away place, which is really kind of fun. Mm -hmm. Well, let's do, why don't we do the speed round and we'll get you, we'll get you out of here. Okay. Can I have some more water? Is it? Of course, Alex. How speedy is the speed round? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's pretty speedy, but you, you might want to. I want you to be comfortable. <laughs> so you're talking about going to Maui with the baby. Yes. Yeah, we want to bring the baby. Yeah. I really, again, this is, oh boy, I just could talk about this stuff all the time. I really want to be clear, like, it would be nice for Ramdas to hold the baby, but we're trying to be like, that's not, it's not important. You know what I mean? It is, it's cute and fun and, uh -huh. and beautiful. But we come from that place where we really want to stay away from the magic. Like we went to, I went to Kirtan once in LA and they were like, here's some beads and they're from India. Make sure you take them with your right hand. Mm -hmm. And I was like, go fuck yourself. <laughs> I immediately was like, I hate that. <laughs> I hate that. All I want is someone to go, the beads don't mean anything. It means what you mean, what it means to you. <laughs> None of this matters. I mean, in the same way that everything matters. But any time that magic, right way, or fundamentalism comes into it, Val and I run for the hills. Mm -hmm. And I suppose that's what we feel when it comes to believing miracles. It's mm -hmm. like Krishna Das was like, you're in pain because you spent so much time of your youth yeah. pretending to believe yeah. in miracles. And now it's really tricky to meet someone like you. And you're like, no, I believe in this. And I'm like, well, now I have to revisit this itchy place, this strange place. Yeah, but the thing is, my whole tradition was that it, it's true and it's not important. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like I was once um, I was doing a benefit evening for somebody, and I was a, a, one of my book, Faith, which seems to be very with us tonight. Yeah, it yes. sure is. It's uh, not even your newest book, really. No, 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 it's like 15 years ago. <laughs> for it came anyone in. that thinks Sharon is plugging a book, the book she's plugging is called Real Love. That's right. Not Faith, but by both. <laughs> faith came out 15 years ago or something. Well, you know, like, well. But I was uh, doing this benefit evening having a dialogue with a scientist. Um, about faith and doubt, you know, and so it was like this totally cordial evening, and we were—I was quoting him, and he was quoting me, and we liked each other, and 
and then someone in the audience raised their hand and said, well, I was in India, and I saw these people do these miracles and lie on a bed of nails and all this stuff. And the scientists who previously up to that moment had defined science as not knowing, hmm. you know, really that attitude of not knowing and wanting to discover, suddenly he knew hmm. that, uh, all that, those it people, that it wasn't real, all those people were charlatans and... Yeah. Wow. And, you know, he would hate to see Buddhism, which had so much to offer the world, associated with that kind of cheap parlor trick. And wow. so then they turned to me, like, what do you think? Uh-huh. <laughs> so I said, well, I have this teacher. I said, I don't know. I've never, you know, I haven't seen that myself. But I did have this teacher. They say she could do these things. But it was so irrelevant. Yeah. You know, that, I mean, you'd never sit around and say, can you imagine Deepamma could walk through walls? It's just not... Yeah. You know, we sit around and say, you know, when that guy got that letter from his mother who was furious that he was practicing meditation and she said, I'd rather see you in hell than see where you are, you know. And and he told Deepamon he was so upset and she reached under her mattress, which is like the bank, you know, and pulled out these rupee notes and gave him some money and said, here, buy your mother a present. You know, Mm -hmm. and that's what you remember. You know, that's Mm -hmm. what we talk about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it was never, ever that other stuff. So Buy your mother right. a present. Yeah, so I sweet. Yeah. So That's beautiful. so sweet. Go buy your mom a present. Well, I do think that is the, a key difference from how miracles were used in, in our tradition. Proof. Was It was proof that you had the right religion. That's well, right. our yeah. our God performed these tricks. You know, People what, used to what say did Buddha do? didn't come back from the dead. They'd yeah. say it like... <laughs> The Red Sox have good pitchers this year. They'd be like, Jesus came back. Yeah. Buddha died. That was something we'd talk about. Oh, you believe in Buddha? He died. Yeah. So. <laughs> but if you look at it as Jesus was was another enlightened being and these enlightened beings just live outside of what we understand to be, uh, you know, real concrete scientific truths or whatever – and that's what a miracle is. And you put people put their own understanding and weight to that. Yeah. That I can get on board with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm quoting my guru. He says, I'll turn your hair white with what I believe now. And I actually I'm sort of in that school now. I'm mm-hmm. I'm I'm it's a and then what situation. It's like great. She walked through walls and and then what? Yeah. What what do we do with that? Right. What do we do right now? Yeah. Not later when I'm converting you or later when I'm contemplating my own rightness or later when I'm afraid I'm going to die and I think of a woman who walked or a person who walked through walls. Um, what now? What do we do with it day to day sort of thing? Mm. Really lovely. Truly lovely. Buy your mother a present. I love it. <laughs> I send my mom a lot of books. <laughs> iPods filled with books <laughs> or mom <laughs> and attachments to whether or not she reads them. But every once in a while she does and she comes up for air and it's it's one of the great joys of my life. And yeah. she she might forget, but then we talk again. Here's here's a kind of a shift in gears is um what is the greatest lesson you've learned about writing? Just write it when it comes to writing books. It doesn't have to be a spiritual or anything. Just sharing, doing some creative stuff. Um, the greatest lesson I learned was when I was writing Faith. <laughs> <laughs> I 
to go home and read Faith. Yeah. I know. I we think all I need have to, to read Faith. We all need to read Faith today and <laughs> oh then watch Moana. Oh, my Moana. goodness. Because <laughs> I was very stuck. I mean, it was it is my autobiography, basically. And it was very hard to write. Yeah. Um, many times I was very stuck. And I was talking to this fabulous writer and writing teacher, Susan Griffin. And she said, you've got to stop thinking of yourself as the person writing the book. And think of yourself as the first person who gets to read the book. Oh, wow. wow. And that was it. That was what I needed in that moment to just step oh. away from the egoic, like, especially like the topics I write about are kind of highfalutin anyway. And then my temptation is to get really like elevated in the language and try to do justice yeah. to mm. the subject. And it gets more and more and more ungrounded and horrible, you know? And <laughs> so I have to like come back, yeah. you know, just be here. Yeah. I love that. Because I, I have heard writers and, and creators in all different mediums uh, explain it more as like a tuning in mm-hmm. and getting out of your own That's way. Right. That's than right. Yeah. I'm like creating this. And That's right. Away. And tell, tell everybody what uh, Nora Ephron said about if it's cute. Oh, no. Anne Lamott. Oh, excuse me. Who was at the last, the May <clears throat> retreat. And I was so sad I missed her because I'm obsessed with her. But she says... Um, if it makes you, if it's witty or makes you be cool or seem cute, then it probably doesn't serve the art. Isn't like, that good? It's so very good. good. We think it. about that on Crashing all the time. I was like, if Jed and Apatow and I agree on anything, is that we're not writing scenes to make anybody, cer- certainly not me, look like a, the winner or the guy who's like rewriting his history. But mm-hmm. this time I have the right thing to say. Yeah. It's, if I don't get the douche chills of like this is embarrassing, we know we're doing it. <laughs> we're doing it wrong. I love that. What about um, public speaking? What's a great lesson you learned about public speaking? Um, that it's all about connection. Because I was terrified of public speaking. I was incapable of doing it for a very long time. And when Joseph and I and Jack, but uh, the first retreat that happened in this country was Joseph and I. It was a month-long retreat in 1974. And I, the format of our retreats, the flow of our retreats, is that they're silent all day and people practice and there's teacher contact and there's Q&A and there's small groups and stuff. But the only real discourse is at night. So it's it's like an hour at night and I could not do it. Mm. I just couldn't do it. Mm. I was too terrified. And people were going up and yelling at Joseph, like, why won't you let her have a voice? Why won't you let her speak? And oh, wow. He said, I'd be delighted if she gave a talk. I could have wow. a night of, I couldn't do it. Wow. And then I went through a whole process where I, I thought, of, at that time I hadn't done much loving kindness practice at all, but I knew it existed, and I knew there was a guided meditation associated with it. So I thought, okay, because my big fear is that my mind would go blank. You know, I would just like sit there. I'm like, uh so I thought, okay, if my mind goes blank and I'm talking about loving kindness, I could just launch into the guided meditation and no one will notice. Mm. Mm. Um, and so I have piles and piles and piles and piles of tapes at home in Massachusetts of me giving one talk because I could only give one talk, which was loving kindness. And then I went through a whole process and mm. I realized they're all about loving kindness. They're all about connection. It's not people sitting there wanting to hear my expertise. It's like, here we are together. That's the feeling. That's it's the you same. Know? I swear it's the yeah. same thing with stand up. Is you go, it's not really about the jokes. Yeah. What you're yeah, offering yeah. is a connection. That's right. That's you right. connect, and those are the good shows. Yeah. If you go out and go like, what am I going to open with? It's more about like, how can I open to this room? Yeah. And merge. It's, That's right. It sounds That's very right. spiritual, but yeah, I yeah. think it's similar. Yeah. It's right. a sim. I love that. It's not about the words. Yeah. It's yeah. not. Right. You're and people are so hungry. 
for a real connection. Yeah, that's true. That if you're doing it, it's like moths to a flame. Like people yeah. want it more than I think more than anything. Yeah, that's lovely. What about uh, this is a big one, but you can just pick whatever comes to mind. One of the great lessons you've learned about meditation. You're talking about loving kindness meditation. I'm sure people are curious what that is. I would be if I was listening. <laughs> um. Well, the uh, word mindfulness is usually what's being associated with loving kindness with meditation these days, and um, and it's a, a whole streams of different kinds of practice that are based on mindfulness. And loving kindness is kind of like a um, sister practice. You know, it's like a, it's a different methodology, mm-hmm. but they're very close, and so and they support one another. So I. Uh, heard about loving kindness practice at the end of my first course, which was in 1971. And um, Goenka used it almost as a kind of ceremonial way of saying goodbye. It wasn't really like a thorough explanation of the method. But as soon as I heard it, I thought, oh, what's that? Mm-hmm. You know, so um, it took a while to kind of study it and understand it. But I never really had a teacher until I went to Burma in 1985, and I did a three-month period of loving-kindness practice. And, mm. and that was like a revelation, you know, because even after all those years of practice, and I've been doing meditation for 14 or 15 years. And certainly compassion and love and those qualities come from mindfulness, from being more aware. But there's something about that dedication mm. where this is what this is about, this mm. three months. Mm. It's, it's just about this. Yeah. Um, that was a really big turning point in my and, life. And what is, is it? I, I actually don't. I have a guess because I've meditated with Jack and with you. And loving kindness meditation is what would what would you say to people? Well, rather than say resting your attention on the feeling of the breath, you rest your attention on the silent repetition of certain phrases, and the phrases are a conduit to paying attention differently. You know, so if you're in the habit for example, thinking about yourself, and all you pretty well think about is the mistakes you make and the things you didn't get quite right. Instead of going there for change, you reflect on these phrases or you repeat these phrases like, may I be happy, may I be peaceful. Mm -hmm. It's like blessing. It's offering blessing Mm -hmm. or gift-giving. It's really pure Mm -hmm. gift-giving. And you hold someone else in mind. Um, and so maybe it's the shopkeeper. It's a story you usually frequent that you, you don't even know their name, you know, but they're the kind of person you usually discount or look right through. Mm-hmm. And you hold them in mind and you think, may you be happy, may you be peaceful. So the phrases aren't meant to, like, force a certain feeling or have us pretend we're not feeling whatever we might actually be feeling. But it's just it's like a little adventure, you know. Yeah, it's like saying, yeah. I'm going to stretch. Yeah. Instead of this ordinary rut, and the way I pay attention to myself or someone else, I'm going to see what it's like to do it from this angle. Right. And it's may I be happy, may I be – It's going? some phrases like that. You know, usually like it's three or four phrases. Um, the common ones used these days, starting with yourself, would be like may I be safe or feel safe. Mm-hmm. May I be safe, be happy, be healthy, live with ease. Live with ease means in the things of day-to-day life like livelihood – Mm-hmm. Or family, you may not be a struggle, may I live with ease. So yeah. you just repeat those four phrases over and over again, starting with yourself, going through a variety of different relationships, those you feel close to, those you don't feel so close to, 
and ending with all beings everywhere, like all of life. So, mm-hmm. wow, I isn't, love yeah. it. Isn't it funny how science does catch? Like everybody would tell you the science of gratitude list. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, yeah, yeah. and yeah, yeah. just like standing awareness. You are literally carving a new pathway in your brain. Yeah, your brain is doing something. That's right. Yeah. I remember. Do you remember when we meditated? Name drop with Deepak Chopra. He had us meditate, and then he was like, "Pick, think of a time you felt um, empathy for someone or sympathy for someone." And you you'd have all these moments in the meditation of like remembering the time I saw my brother struggling on his bike, and how sad that made me, or, or how much I felt for him, and that changed the way I went through the rest of my yeah. week. Yeah. yeah. As you remember the struggle of young boy on bike. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. funny how we can do these things. Well, that's what's so And yet cool. we, we rewatch The Office. I know. <laughs> but that really is what like keeps bringing me back to meditation is it's like if somebody is listening to this podcast and is like, I don't buy any of this, the reincarnation, the miracles, like none of this is for me. There are books that are just scientific that will mm-hmm. tell, will point to meditation. Right. Like it really spans every field. Any way you want to go. <laughs> Any way you want to go. Because there's only one game in town. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's nuts that we're not all doing it all the time, and it's nuts that I have a hard time disciplining myself to do it. Right. You know, even knowing all of that. We talk a lot about, and this will be the end, <laughs> ish. <laughs> The big ice cream cone in the sky. It's my favorite page in Be Here Now. Is It's about non-attachment mm-hmm. and the idea that um, we're stuck on this wheel of desire. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, bored. I'm going to watch a movie. I'm hungry. I'm going to eat popcorn. Now I want ice cream. Now I want water. Now I want sleep. Now I want sex. Now all these things. And we're in this world where our needs are being met faster than ever. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering what a great lesson maybe you have about our attachment to these desires and non-attachment. Because people talk about non-attachment, <coughs> and I think it's a glorious idea. So what is a great lesson you've learned about non-attachment and desire? Um, some of this is, is uh, you know, again, it's like a the Buddhist flavor on things, mm. which it would have me say, the first step is really don't worry about non-attachment Pay attention to what it feels like to be attached. Like you always, pay, mm. you always start with the problem, mm. you know, and then you look at your relationship to the problem. So it's, it's less idealistic, maybe, but it's very real, you know. Yeah. So yeah. It's and mostly, it's probably easier. It's to easier, yeah. Oh, there yeah. it is, yeah. yeah. You know, and mostly when we have a strong feeling, like let's say it's desire or anger, um, we get obsessed with the object, the provocation, the incident the object we want, you know, the new thing. And we rarely pivot as though to say to ourselves, what does it feel like to want something so much? Yeah. What does it feel like to be so angry? Yeah. yeah. You know, so that's the, the, the thing we're looking for yeah. is the yeah. pivot. So you're looking at the feeling itself apart from what it is you want. Mm. Uh, and you sort of come to understand the nature of desire. Sometimes we look at desire and we see, oh, there's a lot of loneliness in there. Isn't that interesting? I wasn't thinking about that. Wow. Or, you know, certainly, as you described, there's a lot of boredom in there. Right. Um, you know, and so we just see layers and layers and layers of different feelings that are coming together in what we're calling desire. And we see that they're always moving and they're always changing. And we also see that some of the ways that we seek to avoid the feeling are worse than just sitting down and feeling it, for God's sake, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes. And so you just learn a lot in that process. 
And that brings you to a place of balance, and then it's not so fevered, you know, like when you want something, maybe it's good to want it, you know, maybe, uh, or maybe it's impossible, and you're not looking at how much you're going to compromise in order to get it. Right. And that you're going to end up worse than you were before, you know, or whatever it is. But uh, sometimes um, it's just about pausing. You know, the pause we want, the gap we want, is not between, there's never wrong to feel what you're feeling. We just feel what we feel. But the gap we want is between the feeling and the action. Mm-hmm. You know, so we have some choice. We have possibility there. You know, like you feel this huge wave of desire and you realize, you know what? I'm not going to steal these earphones. You know, or I'm not going to walk out with the microphone. Like, <laughs> right. It wouldn't be very good, you know? Like, right. And then in some ways, it's almost like permission to let yourself feel the desire. Because you know it's not going to lead to action that you're going to regret. Right. Right. So you just kind of, then you can really get in there and sort of. pushing it away, it has you too. Yes, exactly. I know, I'm not a thief. That's right. (laughs) I, 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 that really speaks to me is like, look at me, I'm kind of being very selfish right now. Or I have a desire to be very selfish right now. And you just kind of, the gap, what a beautiful idea. Yeah. Not the clothing store. <laughs> My desire is to go to the gap. That's just how white bread I am. That's lovely. Truly I lovely. Love what do you feel good? I feel good. I feel You've been good. so generous with your time. Yeah, Thank I you so good. much. Well, you can trap a Buddhist. <laughs> Anytime she wants to go, I'm like, well, don't cling. <laughs> I, I'm delighted. I want to see you again and again. It's so much Yay. fun to be I would with love you. So fun. I've always seen, I feel the same way about Jack. You're at the retreat, so you sort of have this. I, I think of you guys as the teachers on the stage, so I don't want to bother you yeah. at the <laughs> retreats. I know, but I'm glad we got to do this, yeah, and yeah. now I'm going to bother you. Please do. <laughs> I really do want your address. Absolutely. Like, please. We will. And I'm not kidding. I'm going to buy Faith. I'm going to read Faith. Yeah, and uh, Sharon has a great podcast called Meta Hour that you can look up, and uh, books, Real, real love. love, Real Happiness. What's loving it? kindness? Loving kindness. Yeah. That's the that's the the one we were just talking about. Yeah, oh, those are good plugs. Val. Yeah, that. that's very sweet <laughs> of you to do. Um, well, thank you. This is going to be silly, but we love silliness. We have the guests say that the catchphrase to end, which is "keep it crispy." So, would you say <laughs> "keep it crispy"? Keep it crispy. What an odd <laughs> phrase. You have to explain it to me. But keep yeah. it crispy. Let me say it again. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> keep it crispy. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I promise. It just means in the let's say it's in the moment. Stay vital. Stay here. Stay present. Stay alive. Stay light. Stay silly. Stay playful. Stay joyful. <laughs> it's crispy, man. It's crispy. Yeah, it's happening. It's it's active. It's not limp and dying. It's crisp. It's the crisp it's trip. I'm gonna walk out with the microphone. <laughs> the other way which yeah, you can have it <laughs> thank you Sharon thank you my jeans my honey shoes ain't fifty I'm so crispy I'm so crispy my ice can't make you pay this one again